Yo, First Smoke Family today, we got a special, special episode for you guys today. It's a Bay Area legend, my man, Nicky Diamonds, owner of Diamond Supply Co. He's had a 25-year run and he's still going strong. He dropped so much game in this episode. Make sure you watch until the end. He's a true, true pioneer in this game, the streetwear. He's done so many things, so many collabs and he's well-spoken in the entire industry. And if you haven't already, go to fsotd.com. We got three different tiers. Shout out to the tier three gang. You'll see their credits getting strolled at the end of this episode. We appreciate you guys. And go to drdabber.com. If you want to know the code for Dr. Dabber, go to fsotd.com slash sponsors, and you'll see the most recent code right there. So go ahead and plug into that. Growers. Hustlers, Hashmakers, GrowGen.com, GrowGeneration. The code is FIRSTSMOKE10, but you can get it and you can get a link to GrowGen on FSOTD.com slash sponsors. Also, Drip Hydro. All these growers that wanna try something new, you wanna try a new nutrient company, try Drip Hydro. Reach out. We even have a form online that gets you connected straight to Drip, but it's only on FSOTD.com. Wait till you hear Nikki Diamond's story. Everyone who's a designer, who aspires to do clothing, branding, all that, trust me, this one's for you. I basically would just skate every day, never went to school. Just, you know, learning how to make my own money, maybe something illegal or selling skate products. We had a police escort the shoes out of the building. Well, in 2006, a year after we dropped the Nike Dunk, I decided to open up a store on Fairfax in LA that only sold diamond products. Project Diamond Supply Co. Collaboration, 50 shirts, hand number. I mean, look at the, this is the shoe box now. Like, look, it's, it's, it's a good color. My idea was just to make a hardware company. I came with the name of Diamond Supply Co. Yo, what's good, everybody? We're back with another one's first smoke of the day. It's your boy Pat Gods in the building. I'm here with Blackleaf. What up? Episode what up? 108. And we got a Bay Area legend in the building, my man, Nikki Diamonds. What's good, homie? How you doing? What's up, man? Dude. Thanks for the, the legend status. Bro, you, you made it. <laughs> 25 you. years. 25 years this year. How the hell do you make it 25 years of one brand? Um, just loving, loving what I do. You hit it right like the first time, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I got lucky, I guess, starting a brand so young and just, you know, being connected with the skate culture and just what I did was skateboarding and making a brand when there wasn't many brands, especially new young brands like that. So, yeah, just started Diamond at the right time, I believe, back then. Right place, right time. And, and like, you know, moved down to L.A. after a few years of starting it and that that whole scene is just crazy like to see what it's come to and what it's led you know led into and where it's at right now even we were talking about like like i remember in middle school like having ccs magazines and print and like that was a big deal they were like oh you got the magazine let me get that after you yeah. and like just sit there and look at decks and you know like i remember when tony hawk at the 900 and like x games were just popping all yeah. that shit was just like bigger than life you yeah. know 
I was so, there. I think that was in San Francisco when he did the 900. Or it was in LA. It was somewhere, but I was there. Pretty sick. Fucking crazy, is, bro. Yeah. It's just that, like, that whole era, I feel, is if you grew up in that era, you know, you know what's good. And you definitely know Nikki Diamonds for sure. So to just watch you and your journey and be able to do what you've done, bro, it's been inspiring to a lot of people, especially like brand owners, you know, people that are now like, even if you just got a t-shirt line or a clothing line or anything, like you, you're looking at certain brands and you're like, that's the blueprint, you know, that's the way, that's the way it's done. And then right here, right now, we're, we're with all this new shit, which is crazy. 25 years later, still evolving, still taking it and you know, doing other things with it. Um, what was it like coming up in the Bay when you, you know, we were younger? Um, well, when I was young, you know, I've been skateboarding my entire life. Um, since I was like three, I think around that age, I got a little plastic skateboard from my grandmother. My uncle skated, my mom surfed. So I come from like a full skate surf upbringing, my whole family. Um, we used to ride the plastic skateboards and stuff, but you know, back then we we're also like getting into riding BMX bikes and just doing kid shit. Um, but then when I was about 10 is when I got my first like wood skateboard that was like a legit board. And I remember it was um, a Santa Cruz jammer with independent trucks and like orange yo-yo wheels. This was like when jump ramp era first started and shit, people were doing jump ramp shit. Um, yeah, so that's when I was 10, but yeah, since then, I mean, it's just been, my whole life has been skateboarding. That's all it's been. That's all I know. You stay committed this whole damn time. Yeah. A lot of people like, like for me, even for instance, like it was like a phase, right? And you're either like good at it and you stick with it, or maybe some people grow out of it or people become adults. I remember when I like could drive, I was like, well, fuck, I'm not skating as much anymore. Like yeah. I'm, I'm whipping around now. So it exactly. kind of dies off for a lot for of people. Sure. But in those times, in those eras, especially being your age and in your position, I, I, you know, skate tapes coming out on VHS, you go to the skate shop, they're playing it. Like there was real hype and buzz around all that stuff. I remember it vividly. Yeah. The skate shop was the hangout. Yeah, exactly. And like, this is pre-social media. So to go hang out, it's a community in its own to where it's like, yo, you go to the skate park, you go to the skate shop and then everybody meets up and links up, you know, it's like a whole nother world. For sure. Yeah. So that's all that I knew growing up was skateboarding and, you know, um, early days of like being into skateboarding, being into hip hop, being into punk rock, being into, we didn't just like, like one thing. Cause skaters came from all different walks of life. Yeah too so we were around like everyone that just liked to ride a skateboard like some dudes were into fucking you know hip-hop break dancing um you know punk rock metal like but we all had a common thing which was skating reggae like we all used to listen to like a lot of reggae and shit back then um so culturally skateboarding has always been how it is now just kind of like a mixture of all cultures in one thing, just kind of how um, everything's evolved now with social media, how that kind of social media kind of brought everyone together to be into the same type of things now that you see globally, like kids in London are into the exact same shit as kids in LA because of the internet. Skateboarding has always been like that, where all the skaters are kind of like, 
you know, yeah. intertwined with all cultures when, in, you know, in high schools or whatever, skaters hung out with skaters within like the fucking stoner dudes hung out with the stoners and the fucking rapper yep. kids hung out with the rapper kids yep. and the gangsters with the gangsters. But all of those people, some of them liked skating. So the skate culture was always everything. Recruit a little bit of everybody. Yeah. It's crazy you say different skate spots because I remember like Tony Hawk coming out mm-hmm. and that was like the most we saw of other skate spots. Like, yeah. Yo, this is crazy. But even like you spent, uh, talk about London is South Bank over there. Mm-hmm. Like that whole, remember the first time we went over there and we were just like, yo, this is fucking crazy. It's like big bins right there. They're Ferris wheel, like, uh, you know, the one or whatever, all that stuff. I know that's new, but. That place is legendary in itself. Yeah, and skateboarding, obviously, you know, we knew about all that stuff and what was going on in those places, especially for us in San Francisco, because we, uh, you know, I grew up skating at Embarcadero um, in SF, which is EMB, um, which during the 90s was the most iconic skate spot in the world at the time. It was like the mecca of street skating and everyone from around the world would come there to skate. So we had, you know, all the pros that skated for other companies from all over the world would come there. So I'd meet everybody from like London or fucking Brazil or, you know, anyone that would come to America to skate, they'd come to EMP. So we just knew everyone like in all the cities too, like all the skaters from LA, New York, Chicago, everyone would come to San Francisco to skate. So we just knew everybody back then. So culturally again we just kind of all were into the same shit um because there was no social media so you know guys from new york would show up with gold teeth and shit in the early 90s and we're like the fuck is this right yeah like, you know but the thing about the new york guys is they were a lot like us because we were all like from urban areas so we were kind of like the same um but yeah skateboarding has always been like that you know everyone was you know, into all kinds of different types of music. Weed has always been a thing, obviously, in skate. Um, everyone's always smoked weed. Um, just a lot of things. That's what's so great about skateboarding still now. It's like people from all walks of life kind of have the one common thing, which is skateboarding together. Because it's not a financial situation. A yeah. lot of times a skateboard isn't that like it is, but it's not that expensive to where you can get a hold of it compared to a lot of other sports to where like it was the same thing. It connected me with homies that like I'd be traveling into neighborhoods like, oh, shit, is where my other homie lives. Yeah. And, you know, but we would ride all day long. Yeah. Like, you For know, sure. what's interesting, too, when you said it's very inclusive, the skate shop back where I'm from, it was called the family. Yeah. And so you would go there and it was literally like a family. It yeah, was like yeah. all the homies would be hanging out. And I, I started to think back like, wow, they were even called the family. Yeah. yeah. Like up there, like working for free or working for like a free deck or like, you know, it really was. A, oh, I don't know if it's, I'm sure it still is, but that was the tight knit community of like cool people and people that are living by their own means and stuff. They're not necessarily falling into status quo of, yeah. you know, what everyone else is doing. A lot of, playing sports and all this other shit it was a you know whole community and crowd and then the other parts the skate park yeah and people the cool mom would come pick people up you know and then like take them take us to an hour away to go you know maybe they had a half pipe or some shit like that and you know go go ride that and figure that out but yeah do you remember going from single tail to double tail of course 
What was that like? Um, it was different. So, well, obviously it was a, it was a gradual thing where the noses started flipping up a little and then world industries came out with a board that was like the double kick board. Whose board was it? Maybe it was Rodney Mullen. I don't know. I don't remember, but they came out with a board that was two tails. So that's what set it off. And then from there, they kind of slimmed it down where it is an actual nose and tail. But yes, mm -hmm. you could skate on both sides. That happened in the early 90s, very early. Um, but yeah, it was a gradual thing. When I first started skating, it was like, you know, the nose was like this long and they didn't flip up at all. Then gradually it started, you know. Well, even before that, when I was little, I mm -hmm. used to get the boards that were just like, plastic skateboards and they were just fucking super old school like looked like 70s boards and shit right yeah. but then in the 80s they started getting you know um more boards that you can actually street skate with back then they were just you know boards were usually made for probably just cruising around and mm -hmm. you know you could do a boneless or whatever but it was really for like skating ramps and pools and shit like that but once street yeah. skating the ollie came you know, once the ollie became a thing in street skating, that's when boards started changing a little bit. Would you say that it almost like uh, surf culture inspired the first part of street uh, skate culture? Oh, for sure. And then now it's it's almost completely. It, obviously, riding a board is riding a board, but way different at this point compared to where when it for the origins were like very similar. When you look yeah, at the I boards mean, skateboarding and, definitely started from surf. Yeah. Um, but again, sort of. In surf areas and people emulated surfers and surfing was big and, you know, the early probably like 60s, 70s or whatever. And people that lived in, you know, the Midwest that couldn't surf, I guess, you know, they when they first saw somebody skateboarding, um, they wanted to do that because it was like surfing. But my dad wasn't into any of that type of shit. But what they used to do in San Francisco is he said they used to cut the you know, they'd take the skates off of roller skates and put them on two by fours. And then they would, um, get like a milk crate and put it on the front and they'd ride those down the hills, which is skateboarding too. But that wasn't surf inspired by any means, but obviously the first skateboard skateboarding surf style skateboarding was in Southern California. The first skate shop was here in LA, which is Valsurf. Really? Very first skate shop that sold skateboards. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. epic. Was that around like the Dogtown days or? Um, I want to say that they celebrated their 60 year anniversary, maybe Damn. or 70, something wow. like that. They're old. Yeah. Val Surf. There's a few locations. They're like in the valley and shit. There's places people only dream of going. I've been there. Too. That's epic. Right there, there's one like in, I think, what cities are those? Like Encino or Woodland Hills or Studio City. I forget what cities, but over there. But yeah. you have this passion, right? And this passion's all. And you, like, what I heard from other interviews is that you see some of your friends start to create brands. Yeah. So they did. 
So, um, stepping back, obviously growing up, um, skateboarding my entire life, um, I loved skateboarding, but I was always into clothes. Even in, even when, you know, even when you're like a punk rock skater and you don't give a shit, right? Like your mentality, like, fuck everyone. I'm a fucking punker skater. I don't care. You care or else you wouldn't wear clothes that were fucking punk rock clothes, like misfits and shit all over your jacket, fucking Mohawk and all this shit. So back then I'm like, rebel, I don't care what anyone thinks, but obviously you care because you're dressing a certain way. Yep. Right. You spent hours cutting out patches and putting them on your backpack. Yeah. Yeah. Even dudes today, like even skaters are like, we don't care. And we're in dickies and fucking shirt. Okay. But you're looking like that and all your friends look exactly the same. So you do care because you care about looking that way and you don't want to look fresh or whatever. Putting on an image. You're you're trying to look (laughs) that way. So Mm -hmm. you can't say you don't care how you look. That's bullshit. Um, But yeah, so growing up skating, I was always into shit like clothes and all the stuff. And then, um, you know, being a skater, being around everybody that skated from different cultures and getting into break dancing. I used to skate and break and listen to punk rock and listen to rap shit. And, you know, like everything. It's a blender. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Friends tagging, you know, all this shit. Um, I was just into so much stuff. Right. So being a skater and being sponsored and skating for all these different companies. Some of the companies I skated for, I started like giving them ideas, you know, stuff to make. Um, and they'd make it, um, some of my ideas and then they would do good. And I, you know, in my mind, I'd be like, fuck man, I should just like make shit on my own. Right. Cause I was always the kid, like selling weed, selling my skate products. sell. I was always selling shit. Awesome. That's what yeah. I was known as. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like yeah. I'd go down even before Embarcadero, like, um, probably very early on, like 10 or 11, I was living in San Jose, which is like an hour from San Francisco. Um, same thing. I was selling shit. Selling to my friends, I was getting big bags of fucking, I'm like 11 years old, getting big bags of trim from these weed dudes I knew up the street, right? I'd go to their apartment, they'd like give me these big bags of fucking trim <laughs> and shake for $100 and I'd go home and I'd roll all these joints, go sell them to everybody in the neighborhood. Um, I was always selling shit. So then when I got sponsored for skating, um, well, first off, from San Jose, I got in trouble for doing all that type of shit. All right. So I don't condone like little kids fucking selling weed at 10 years old, but um, <laughs> I was selling weed and mushrooms and acid and taking acid just like a little at, kid in skating. At, at 10? 11, 11, 10, 11, 12. What's that like? Learned you, how to skate doing that stuff. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. You got Took eight to ten hours out. focus. Well, I've, only yeah. taken, I've only taken acid one time. I'll yeah. never forget that shit. I haven't Couldn't since imagine I was, at 11. Yeah. I haven't taken acid since I was probably like 14. But before that, we were taking like every day, like we'd take acid and go skate and smoke weed and fucking just, that was our thing. So I uh, kind of learned how to skate like on acid. Cause you're just like, we'd just go out and skate all the streets and stay out all night. You know, no parental, no one cared back then. It's not like today. Like we could go out all night and now my, my kids, like I won't take my eyes off them for one second. Right. Yeah. But we, back then it was just a different world. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> that was the norm. It was the norm. Yeah, like I, I used to be like, no, you guys stay outside. 
like don't come back in you know like yeah now it's like you gotta keep you know it's the opposite I had to be yeah. home for dinner and then I could yeah. go back out. Yeah. But like, yeah. just need to know you're alive yeah. at seven yeah, o'clock. Yeah, as long yeah. as you're alive. Are you alive? Yeah. Okay, exactly. cool. Yeah. Go ahead. You exactly. Know? <laughs> yeah, that's just how it was back then. Um, so what changed everything for me back then when I was little is I was doing all that. I'm like selling weed. I'm fucking, you know, selling mushrooms and, and taking acid and skating and getting in trouble for everything fucking crazy juvenile delinquent little kid shit um kept going to juvenile hall like all the time um when i was 13 i believe um they uh i was in juvenile hall for probably like the millionth time and they took me away from my whole family yeah so that's when i went to san francisco again Cause I was born in, when I was born, we lived in San Francisco till I was three, moved to San Jose. And then when I was 13, moved back to, um, San Francisco to a group home. So I did that, but that changed my entire life. Cause if that never happened, I wouldn't have met all the San Francisco kids that I grew up skating with and ended up being, you know, at Embarcadero every day of my life, um, starting my brand and all that shit exposure because who knows if i if none of that happened i stayed in san jose my life would have been completely scene. different yeah, yeah. might have been a tech guy or something <laughs> who knows most yeah. of the guys i know in san <laughs> jose <laughs> sell weed yeah. 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 yeah it's a big yeah yeah <laughs> so when i was 13 i went to a group home until i was 18 oh um, shit. yeah so i stayed there it's a while yeah and skateboarding's outlet at that point yeah, it's a way to get out because the group home, and this is a long time ago, yeah. so mm -hmm. no one in the group home gave a fuck. I never went to school. I would just go skate every day. Um, I would just go down to Embarcadero, and that's when Embarcadero first started cracking off. So I spent my whole life just skating at Embarcadero, and skateboarding just became everything. So same thing: weed, drinking forties, fucking skating every day, doing nothing but that. Right. Yeah. For years and years. Um, but, you know, we all became sponsored in pro skaters and um, our crew, EMB, which was Embarco's most blunted. Right. So <laughs> it's always been a weed thing. Yeah. That's a, that was a nickname of our crew, EMB crew, Embarco's most blunted. And um, we all skated at Embarcadero and basically would. Um, we became a very notorious skate crew. Thrasher Magazine was in San Francisco, so they'd come down and they started like covering us. All these kids skated in Embarcadero. Um, we're all in all the skate videos. So that's when everyone saw. There were some amazing kids that I grew up with that were doing some of the illest shit you've ever seen back then. So uh, San Francisco and skateboarding just became the mecca of new street skating, which is at EMB. So that's when everybody from San Francisco started coming there. Um, and all my friends were sponsored. Like I said, I, we were all skating for these companies. And that's how I decided to start my brand was because I was already homies with all the pro skaters. Um, I knew a lot from the industry because I was also working at FTC skate shop in San Francisco. I worked at Thrasher. 
I worked at Think Skateboards. I was sponsored by Think Skateboards. Um, I became very good friends with the owner of Thrasher Magazine. Um, RIP, he died. Um, his name is Fausto Vitello. He owned Thrasher, he owned Slap Magazine, he owned Independent Trucks, Venture Trucks, yeah. Thunder Trucks, Think Skateboards, Real Skateboards, all the San Francisco brands. He was the wow. owner. Um, he took a liking to me. Um, he was kind of like, you know, the God <laughs> to me. Yeah. I didn't have like anyone to look up to at the time, except for my peers. He was like this guy, right. That I was like, fuck, he's like this crazy, you know, rich dude. He had like Chevelles and shit. Like he had like old school cars that I just thought he was the most amazing guy ever. And he um, was a skater. He came up just earlier, earlier in like the seventies. Yeah. In the, at this time he was probably in his fifties. Mm-hmm. He, uh, would always just be like just hyped on me for some reason i'm just a fucking skater that skated for them but he kind of inspired me to want to start doing my own brand um so and some of my other friends that started skate companies so that's what happened is that i basically just from being around all that and knowing a little bit about the industry and me being into clothes and me being into design and i had a friend that was a designer um, he went to the Academy of Art in San Francisco. Um, he basically would just let me come to some of his classes with him at um, the Academy of Art, and he would teach me how to use all the fucking art programs and shit, and I started doing that. So I decided to start my own brand, um, Skate Hardware, because I thought that was the easiest thing. I came up with an idea for some fucking special hardware for skateboards that it was two allen keys um with a dome nut on the bottom that had an allen key hole in the bottom so you didn't need a wrench and an allen key you only needed two allen keys to put your board together so i thought of that um and that's how diamond was born um thinking of that looking back it's such a great niche like even as probably the businessman you are now looking back like what a great piece of the board to yeah. supply and be a part of like supplying yeah. where you're not competing now with all these other board companies and they got more skaters, more, they're going to offer more. Like you slide right in like, yeah, yeah, everybody. Now. That was the whole thing. <laughs> Cause then I'm like, fuck, it's such a good idea um, to make this double Allen key hardware and all my friends skate for shoe companies, board companies, truck companies, but nobody skates for a hardware company. So I got everybody. I got like, all the best skaters of the time to skate for diamond hardware. So when I first started putting ads in Thrasher, there was these massive team lists of like the best skaters in the world, which are all my homies <laughs> on diamond. And people were like, what the fuck is this diamond thing? Yeah. Right. So that's how it really happened. Um, I did it out of my house, um, my apartment in San Francisco. Let's see, 98. Yeah. So 97 is when I thought of the idea started making shit in 98, but couldn't get the bolts really made. I was trying to make them in China um, and I couldn't get it right. Um, So for two years, I just started making t-shirts and hats and that started doing really good right away. Um, The same diamond logo that you see now that says Diamond Supply Co. That's my first logo I ever made with my friend from Academy Art. His name's Sketch. Um, He's actually in the cannabis world too. Some people Um, know him as Al Fresco. Yeah, Yeah. Al Fresco. Yeah. Yeah. So, for sure. so Al, so he, um, he helps Burner a lot with all the cookie stuff and a bunch of other brands. Um, but yeah, so me and him made the first logo together 
because I didn't know how to do the um, shit on the computer yet. He was mm-hmm. just kind of showing me. So when I came up with the name for Diamond, the very next day I went to his house. He's like, come over and let's fucking make a logo. So it was his idea. He's like, write Diamond five times on a piece of paper. So I just hand wrote it five times and then he scanned it into the computer and just a diamond and cleaned it up a little bit. Same logo as today. And then um, I was like, put supply co underneath because I'm making bolts and shit. I'm going to make like skate supplies. So we put supply co <laughs> and then uh, that's it. Very first logo is the same logo we use today. And he was the, the guy trail. who would have you come to classes with him. Yeah, man. Shout out him for, like being inclusive like that again, I'll bring that word up where he's like, yo, come with me. I think you would get out of this, you know, like just being yeah. a guy like that. So that's yeah. dope. Yeah. So shout out Al. That's my boy. Um, I'm actually the godfather of a son too. Um, that's dope. So yeah. he, uh, he's amazing. So yeah, without him, I wouldn't have come up with that logo, which, you know, is, I mean, it's iconic for the brand now. For it was sure. so simple, just a handwritten logo and no one really had anything like that. Um, it stands out. It yeah. was like, and it, and it grew. It grew into a statement piece after that. You know, it was like, yeah, that, that logo is, you know, like, and I know we'll keep into the story, but the way you intertwined it in so many different worlds, I think that's the part that like really brings it all full circle. Where it's not just a skateboard brand. I don't think people could even box yeah. it in as that. Yeah, for sure. So that's how um, a diamond was born. Really. Then um, I was doing it out of my house in San Francisco, an apartment on Felon Visadero. That's where I started it. Who were some of the first skaters you uh, signed to it? Um, Mike Carroll, Stevie Williams. Um, very first, let's see, Mike Carroll, Stevie, Henry Sanchez. Um, fuck, probably like Kareem Campbell. Um, All legends. Everybody, let's see. I mean, I had right from the gate, I had like 30 dudes on the team. Um, We're right here, our favorite place to go. You know, where the pros go to grow at Grow Generation. Over 60 stores nationwide, either in-store or online. Use our code. First Smoke 10. Family, get online if you're shopping for grow goods. First Smoke 10 or in-store anywhere in the U.S. Tell them the First Smoke family sent you. We'll see you there. Bob Burnquist was on the first. He was actually... Wow. My very first diamond ad of someone skating was Stevie Williams. Back in 2000 is when I ran my first ad in Thrasher. But it was, my first ad was just a picture of the hardware. The next month was an ad of Stevie Williams. And the next ad after that was Bob Burnquist. So people were like, what the fuck is this? diamond thing like this is crazy all top skaters that are <laughs> yeah. still legends of this day yeah yeah so it's crazy that was the thing and then you know once i moved to la all my homies in la that i knew all got on diamond because what happened is that in 2000 so i was shipping shit out of ftc the skate shop that i worked at um besides always i've always been this way i'm just fucking crazy so <laughs> when ever since i was little like i said i was always selling all my shit i was selling things same with it during this time. I was still selling weed. I was working at fucking Nordstrom's. I was working at FTC. I'm getting all my skate product and going down to FTC and selling all my shit. I was always just like selling whatever I could and just trying to make money. Maybe because I didn't grow up with any. And I always just thought that I had to figure out and I wasn't going to school. I wasn't doing anything. I was like, I need to fucking 
make money like somehow. So I was always like doing that. It was just like my thing. People thought I was crazy. All my friends too. <laughs> I'd show up with a backpack full of wheels, fucking at EMB like every day. And just cause I'd go, I'd even go to like my sponsors. Like I was sponsored by Spitfire wheels at the time. So I'd go there and I'd go get all their defective wheels. The ones that they couldn't sell where the screens were fucked up or whatever. And they'd be like, take whatever you want. So I'd get boxes of wheels and bring it home. And I'd put them all in my backpack, go down to market and sell a set of wheels for 20 bucks. So I'd sell wheels all day. <laughs> I was crazy. But are um, you when, to, to revert back? So you go to that group home though, and you get out and you start to move around. Are you still close with your folks at this point or no? Not at the time. Okay. No, I am now. I am now. That changed years later mm-hmm. where I like had to like, you know, call them and they're the types that just, I don't know. They're just different whatever i had to apologize right like i'm sorry if you're being such a bad kid <laughs> yeah you know like it's let's have some sort though. of relationship yeah yeah you know yeah it was like they didn't want anything to do with me i was just this fucking chaotic psycho kid fighting fucking getting arrested like you know beating up teachers like i was crazy when i was little i don't know why i was I'm just having like, a hard time seeing that side of you yeah i was just a back. super bad kid it's not what i would have expected yeah to hear for sure. i don't i don't like when i think back i'm like why was i so mad all the time right yeah. that was like my thing when i was little i was just like the mad what do you kid. think flipped wow. the switch for you you um, think it was maybe being around the, the guy that owned thrasher like having a mentor like that around or some no not really Maybe even in the group home, a little bit, I started changing because my counselors there too, they're all young. So the counselors at the group home, when I was living there, they were all college students that, you know, they'd get like extra credits in school (laughs) and shit to like, and they'd live there for free. So they would live in the group home and they'd be like counselors and they're just sitting there smoking weed with me. They're fucking taking mushrooms. They're fucking, they don't <laughs> yeah, give a fuck. Yeah. And we're just kids. Right. Yeah. Cause at this time I was, um, 13. So I was, it was like right before I was going to go into high school. So it was when I went in there, it was like the, the end of my junior high school years is when I went into the high school and, uh, um, the group home. So I was in the group home throughout my entire high school years that I never went to because that was my home life now for years mm-hmm. was, and I went to like 10 different group homes. I was even crazy. Then I got kicked out of all of them um, just for doing crazy shit still. But they, the counselors there was like no supervision. They're smoking weed. They're just fucking, you know, I had one guy, this, uh, this one dude would just drink tequila all night. He lived there with his wife and he would like beat her up in front of us. And we're just like, this is crazy. But that was my life. When I think back now, I think it's crazy. But just then I was like, I didn't know this is just life, whatever. Going to go skate later guys. Right. Yeah. So that was was it. Yeah. So I had no like home life Mm -hmm. growing up. My home life was Embarcadero, all my friends. So that, and like I said, meeting Fausto, that just, you know, and the other people that I was around that owned the other skate companies that were under his bigger brands, um, watching them and they were like skaters and shit, just older than me. They were like running these companies that just all inspired me to go do something. So I went and did something. So once I was in San Francisco in my apartment, working at FTC, doing Diamond, I started Kent from FTC, helped me out a lot. He was the owner of FTC Skate Shop. Um, He got me distribution in Japan. 
that was my first thing. So I was selling at FTC, selling my stuff out of there. He got me distro in Japan. Um, so I started bringing all my shirts. I'd get them made. I'd bring them to FTC and I'd ship them out of there. Um, I'd store them at my apartment and then I'd borrow my girlfriend's car at the time. I didn't have a car. A lot of people in San Francisco didn't have cars, though. We'd always just take the train or the bus. But I'd bring the shit over there. We'd ship it. And that was the start. It started doing good. Started getting in all the magazines because my friends were wearing the shirt. Um, that's the only place you could see it because there was no social media. Mm-hmm. So thank God all my friends were wearing it because it'd be in skate videos. It'd be, this was before I had any money to advertise in an actual magazine. It would just be in the magazines because they were wearing the shirt. So, and they were like the best skaters in the world at the time. So that like mattered, right? Um, so with that, my friends at Girl Skateboards in LA, after me doing that for two years, they just hit me up and they were like, dude, you want to move to LA? We love Diamond. Can we distribute it? So I was like, damn. Next day, literally had a girlfriend, full on girlfriend, everything in SF. Just called her like, moving to LA tomorrow. What the fuck? Yeah. So I literally, the very next day when they called me, I just packed up all my shit. Um, in a U-Haul and drove to LA. What'd your homies say? Were they all like, yo, happy for you? Like, or did you just- Yeah, people couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, they couldn't believe it. So yeah, I just left. Because back then also I was a barber. So I was (laughs) working. (laughs) I was crazy. I'm telling you, fucking selling weed, working at FTC, working at Nordstrom, selling all my skate shit and cutting people's hair at my house. All the neighborhood people and all the skaters, they'd come over to my house and I'd charge $10 for a haircut. So I was cutting hair. like. And that actually helped me a lot. So shout out to all the barbers because that I feel like got me very detail oriented with my design. So when I started learning all the graphic design shit, it gave me a lot of patience to learn this stuff because, you know, when I'm giving people fades and like, you know, the line and making the line disappear, like that shit was like, you know, I learned that all myself. Yeah. But then I went to San, uh, LA, I moved to LA. I got a desk in uh, the warehouse. They just gave me a little desk in the uh, shipping area of the warehouse. And that's where I really started doing diamond on a bigger level where they were selling all my t-shirts to all the skate shops and shit. Um, But it was just a distribution deal. So it took a long time for diamond to grow still because they weren't financially supporting it. Mm -hmm. I was still having to fucking sell weed and do all these things to get money because I was, um, I had to buy all the t-shirts. All they would do is sell the stuff and ship it. But if I didn't have money to buy t-shirts, I couldn't get t-shirts to sell or bolts or anything. So finally the bolts ended up working two years later when I was at girl is when we first released the hardware, even though we're a hardware company, which is funny, people are still buying all the skate shops. They're still buying diamond as this new hardware brand that didn't have hardware for two years <laughs> they're just buying hats and t-shirts and stickers and all this shit um so finally i dropped the bolts um i ended up being at girl skateboards their distribution for six years so i was doing it there for six years um during that time um got a lot of hype just the t-shirts because i couldn't make any because they weren't financially supporting it so everyone thought the shit was mad limited, not on purpose, but they thought that it was limited 
because of that. And um, that really helped the brand too. Once in 2005, I dropped the Nike collab because then, you know, there's this brand, some people knew about it. There's t-shirts. Now we drop a Nike collab. So now we're like this limited edition fucking skate slash streetwear brand because that's kind of streetwear brands were like limited, but I wasn't trying to be girls selling fucking all over the world, tons of product. I'm sitting here making 500 t-shirts at a time. They'd sell out of the shirts and months would go by before I could make more shirts. Right. I'm sitting there running around Venice and all these places selling weed, fucking, you know, trying to do whatever I can to get money to fucking buy more t-shirts. So that was like my life for like six years until I finally left them and did it on my own six years later after the hype of the shoe the shoe dropped how did that come about the nike collab um the nike collab happened by accident um i was friends with like i said the shirts were cracking like yeah i mean these are all skaters that like totally changed the game in their own right exactly and they're all wearing my shit um scarcity model you feel like when the yeah do you feel like when the tony hawk game started coming out too that it it like boosted things i know that was probably before a little bit but yeah for them at least like them being skaters it made them more like it, famous more yeah, people knew about more them. famous and skateboarding as a whole yeah. became more famous for sure more people got into the whole skate thing so yeah. skateboarding definitely became um more mainstream at mm-hmm. the time and nike sb was just starting to become a thing um because they came out around 2000 so by 2005 it was you know within the skate world um and sneakerheads were into that shit but you know mainstream mainstream and skate didn't really start taking off for a long time but um 2005 i was already giving the whole nike sb skate team at the time skated for diamond hardware so they were all on the skate team and that i was you know and they're all rocking my shirts they have my bolts on their boards like so that was a thing um the team manager of Nike at the time, his name's Hunter, he used to own a skate shop in San Jose um, that used to carry diamond. Then he somehow, some way became the team manager of Nike SB and they moved him to Portland. He was a big diamond fan. I'd always send him free diamond shit. So I already had this whole relationship with the Nike guys. Um, Sam Smythe, who was the team manager at Girl, um, very good friend of mine. We grew up together at Embarcadero in San Francisco. He, a year prior, moved to L.A. to work for Girl Skateboards as the team manager. So he called me into his office one day and was like, hey, man, can you help me design these uh, Nike shoes? Nike wants to do a collab with Girl. And I was like, oh, shit, that's crazy. You know, and we both grew up full Nike heads, Jordans, all the shit. Like, we've always been into it. Even as young skaters, we were like, like I said before, we're into fucking punk rock. We're into fucking hip hop. We're into sneakers. We're into break dancing. We're into all kinds of shit. We're not just skaters. Like there's some skaters that grew up full, just skate fucking vans, dickies. Don't give a fuck about anything. They just skate. I'm into everything. I'm into clothes, which we were probably considered as by like the, you know, the, the more Hesher fucking skater dudes is lame, right? <laughs> These guys listen to rap music and they fucking skate. Like, that's weird, right? Yeah. But we didn't care. We're just like street kids. Like, we just skate. Mm-hmm. I don't care about all this, like, core skate shit. Um, so he was the same way. 
um, we grew up, he was actually a tagger. He, uh, he used to tag resin. Um, so when we decided to, um, when we, when he had me help him start designing the shoe colorways, um, he already had some colors of stuff on the computer. I was like, that's cool. I had this one diamond shirt that I referenced off of a Tiffany and Co. box. Um, back then 2004 is when this was happening. Um, there was a Tiffany, I bought my girlfriend at the time, something from Tiffany and co. And there was like the box and I was like, that's a sick color. I'm going to put that on a shirt. And I never seen anyone use that color before. So I had the diamond OG script shirt, which is the original logo in that color. Um, I, it probably dropped like within a week or two before that. So I was like, let's make the shoe this color. Perfect time. Yeah. Let's make one this color. So we did that. Um, He probably sent in like 10 different colors. I helped him make another color that was like a Gucci colorway. Um, Black denim, green leather, red swoosh, which his tag name is resin. And the black was for the, you know, the ash. Yo, what up? It's Blackleaf. I'm here at Grow Generation, and guess what? Drip Hydro storming the market. All the best growers I know are switching to it. And guess what? There's a reason, because it's preserving terps. I keep hearing that, preserving terps. And that's why we're here with Sunshine, facility advisor, facility manager, overall the man with Drip Hydro. Listen to why it's different, man. What's going on, guys? Sunny here with Drip Hydro. Thing is, at the end of the day, we just wanted to make a simple, clean, cost-effective nutrient line that nobody has really seen on the market right now. Nobody uses really our chelation formulas. Uh, The micronutrients that we have pulled to make this line is really just what makes it overall bringing that consistency and quality back to what we want to see and growing herb again and overall at the end of the day it's still really light on your wallet it's a five-part nutrient line and again if you're not staying sterile or you have a big facility and you don't want to run rock wool and you want to run a mix of cocoa with an enzyme or something you don't even have to run flow with it so at the end of the day it's just saving you money on your wallet while bringing the consistency and the quality of terps back we wanted to bring the terps back and bring the soul back to growing versatility cost effective and quality i mean what else can you ask for drip hydro first smoke of the day black leaf approved peace the the red swoosh was for the fire the green was for the weed resin that's what that that's why it's called resin and that's his tag resin so that ended up coming out years later but we sent both of those to to them and some other ones and they hit him back and they were like we like this fucking one that nick did right like what's up with this can we make this the girl skateboards um shoe um sam was like they just started girl skateboards has a shoe brand called lakai lakai footwear it's a big skate shoe brand i remember that. they weren't down so they were like we don't want to do it we don't want to do a nike nike's fucking you know taking from all the skate companies saying it's corporate and shit like yeah. that it's a money grab yeah too corporate girl didn't want to do it me being a sneakerhead, of course i'm like ask him if we could do a fucking diamond one right wow. i didn't want to ask him that's crazy <laughs> yeah so um sam hit up hunter the guy who was the team manager 
who was a Diamond fan, hit him up. And then he's like, dude, he said they're going to do it. I'm like, no fucking way. Wow. I'm going to have my own fucking Nike. Like this fucking, I'm a Nike head. Like I'm all into this shit. And I'm going to have my own Nike. This is insane, right? When what you get hit back about that, are you in his office or how's that? We were just at the office. I don't remember where. And they were like, yo, you got it. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So <laughs> they sent a sample. I was fucking in awe. I was like, I can't believe this shit. Right. I have this small little skate brand that barely anyone knows about. Like I said, I'm fucking making, you know, barely any t-shirts and shipping it out. Um, yeah. So that was insane. I couldn't believe it was really happening. So got some samples. This first sample was pretty basic. Um, it came back at the right colors, but the materials were like, it was black nubuck. Um, the, the Tiffany color leather was how it is now, but the swoosh was just a muted gray. Because uh, we just sent him the colorway, right? But then I, when I, right when I got it back, I'm like, oh, fuck, I want to make some changes, right? Like, this is cool, but let's do black crocodile as the black part instead of the new buck. Make the swoosh, because then I'm like, fuck, let's make it look like platinum or something, right? So let's do a, a swoosh that's fucking patent leather looking silver. Um, and then I was like thinking, fuck, I know they're not going to let us do this, but because it always has the Nike logo on the tongue. And I just put the diamond on there, right? And sent it back. And they fucking did the diamond. That's when I was tripping. Like, we're going to do the diamond. I don't think any shoe had that before. Like, now you see shoes and they'll have, like, they won't say Nike, but mm -hmm. mine might have been the first. I'm not, I don't really know, but I think it is. So they put the diamond on the fucking tongue instead of the Nike swoosh. Crazy. And uh, I got the sample back. Yeah, and that's why, yeah, it was like this crazy thing. Because I got the sample back, and um, I had a homie at the office just take a picture of me holding it. And this is before social media was like a thing. Um, MySpace existed. I was on MySpace because that's how I used to do, you know, I was like always posting new T-shirts and shit I was doing on MySpace. So I wasn't thinking anything of it. I knew of Nike Talk and all this stuff back then, but I wasn't really like that involved in it. But I posted it on my on my MySpace and then just left work, like not thinking anything of it, like doing a Nike shoe, right? <laughs> Fucking, I go to my friends. That's when I like realized how crazy the shit, um, it just the whole internet thing was, or and what it became today, um, because people were into it back then. But you know, there was no like social medias except for MySpace was around before that. We were on Friendster, I believe it was, and shit like that. Um, but I went to my friend's store. They had a women's shoe store, and they used to sell all the Jordans. They sold Air Maxes and all the shit, but for women. So I'd always go there and buy um, colorways, women's colorways, because they wouldn't have those in men. So I'd buy the biggest size. So I'd have like Jordans, and people wouldn't even know they're women's. Like, where the fuck did you get those? So it was cool getting all the women's colorways. Um, that's all they would sell. It was just only women's sneakers called Kendo was the name of the shop. But I walked in there. He's like, what's up with that shoe? And I was like, oh, you seen it on my, uh, on my MySpace? And he's like, no, dude, I seen it on like every fucking sneaker blog in the world. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and he showed me and it's like Soul Collector, Nike Talk, all this shit. And there's like thousands of comments. And I was like, what the fuck? I just posted this, you know, two hours ago on my way here and that was the first time i seen like hype right like i didn't know that 
Shit went viral. That shit existed. Yeah, it went viral before viral was a thing. That's right? crazy. And Nike was mad because I just got the sample. The shoe wasn't supposed to come out for a year. And I posted the shit on the internet, which they oh. didn't know was a thing. Um, oh, yeah. Um, that wasn't even a thing for them back then. Like, viral stuff, right? So um, that all happened. Um, which is funny is that um, a couple years later, someone from Nike told me that after that all happened, um, they had a big Nike meeting. And I guess at the Nike meeting in a big auditorium with all the employees from not just Nike SB, but like a bunch of different departments, they said that um, Sandy Bodecker, who was the guy from Nike SB and some other heads of Nike, they said they had like this big, like this big meeting about marketing. And they said that they just had a big picture of me on the back holding the shoe, right? Like a picture of me holding the shoe. And they're like, this is the future of marketing, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Because it went so crazy of me doing that, right? Um, so someone told me that from Nike. Campaigns. And I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> I was like, no fucking yeah. way. Like, bro, you're at the presentation today. <laughs> yeah, because back then that wasn't a thing, right? They would like advertise a shoe like right before it was about to come out. And then that was it. But this was like a year prior, social media only. There wasn't like an ad for it or anything. Just a dude holding a fucking shoe and it went crazy. So that was like the beginning of sneakers going viral, I guess. Really. Jeff Staple dropped a shoe prior to that same year that went crazy in New York. Um, earlier that year, I believe, um, which was the Pigeon. That got a lot of hype but in a different way. That was like he had a release yeah. and a bunch of people came and it got on the news because it was like a riot out in front of the mm -hmm. store. But that wasn't like an internet viral, a guy just standing there holding a fucking shoe that went crazy. But anyway, all that hype. So what I'm getting at is all the hype for the shoe, my brand became a thing, right? Cause I was already limited edition t-shirts and not on purpose. Um, this Nike's going crazy. So now I adopted a whole new, all cultures of sneakerhead streetwear kids and the skaters already knew of diamond. So now I got all these people to be interested in diamond over this. So that's how it kind of propelled us into a whole new world outside of just skateboarding was because of the Nike and all the hype and the fluke of me not being able to produce t-shirts. So they weren't everywhere. They're only in like select shops and would sell out and then no more shirts would show up for months at a time. That all helped, right? So after that, I really just um, was kind of started looking at more brands and realizing that our skate shirts were really inexpensive. Um, so I told the people at Girl, my distro, I was like, I want to raise the price of my T-shirts. And they're like, no way. You can't do that. And I was like, no, I'm going to sell them for fucking $30. Right. Cause back then they're, they're selling their shirts for like, you know, retail $19.99, $22. Like that was regular skate prices. But I was like, there's brands out there selling shirts for $30 that have nothing to do with skate. So like, there's no way we're doing that. So I left. I fucking bounced. And uh, that was, and that was after the Nike collab. Yeah. Wow. So you, at that point, you already know you, you got something. Yeah. Now, for you sure could, you, you're like you know the power of branding and scarcity 
Yeah, and I started see talking. Supreme play the same model. And I started talking to all the kids on Soul Collector. I started talking to all the kids on Hype Beast. I started Hype Beast was brand new. I got on those forums. Um, Bobby Hundreds actually, I met him, and he told me you need to get on these forums and talk to all these kids. They're all your fans. I was like, okay, so I got on, started something, Diamond Supply Co. Thread, and fucking would just spend days, you know, hours every day on there talking to all these people, and realized that none of these kids were skaters but there's like hundreds and hundreds of kids on here that i'm talking to um brands they're buying are like 30 dollar t-shirts they're buying like you know streetwear brands i never even heard of um so that's why i was like i'm gonna raise my prices too i need to be like in this category and not just thought of as skate because in my mind i've always been into all kinds of shit i'm not just skate i'm into fashion i'm into fucking streetwear i'm into sneakers I need to like diamond needs to be like on a different level than just like spitfire wheels or something. Right. Like yeah. we're, I'm doing more than that. Um, outside of just skate. Um, Did you look at yourself as a designer at that point? I've still don't think of my, <laughs> you that? say that though, <laughs> yeah. but that, that <laughs> Nike that you design, cause like any big brand that would come in and throw their weight around as a brand, but that shoe is sick. Like yeah, everyone wanted to wear that. I mean, yeah. even to this day, as soon as you're, you're basically talking about it, I can picture it in my head like that. Yeah. It's yeah. iconic. That takes design. Yeah. That takes artistry. I guess so. I still design all my t-shirts. Every diamond t-shirt you see, I do myself. Like I'm, our, I'm I've hired people over the years here and there, but I, um, 99% of everything you've seen from diamond, I've designed myself still since, you know, I learned how to, do that shit for my friend at Academy Art. I've been designing ever since then. Still to this day, I'm designing all night. I just sit on my computer designing graphics and shit. Design what's, all, what's all your process apparel. like? Like when you're doing something like this or whatever, like well, how do you, you know, how do you start and then how does it end up coming to life? For me, um, when it comes to apparel, I'm super visual. So I f- Photoshop shit to look real. So a lot of people, you know, they'll do CADs, um, which is pretty simple. Just in, you know, um, you could draw like a jacket or something in Illustrator. It just looks like a line drawing. You know, you add your logos. But I can't really work like that because I can't visualize what the shit really looks like when it comes. So I just legit just Photoshop shit to make it look like it's a real item. Right. So I'm like, here's the jacket and it fucking has the patches on it and everything. But I make everything realistic. Um, And then... I'll do that. Then I'll send it to our tech pack guy and then he'll tech pack it and make the illustrated drawings and send those off to the factory. So I, the way I do it is I Photoshop everything real. So I know what it's going to look like in real life. That's just how I do it. Um, Or I'll take shit that I like clothes that I like or things that I made in the past. And I'll just, you know, cut it up, take pockets off, put shit on, kind of just lay it out on the floor or whatever. And I don't know, there's a lot of processes of the way yeah, I do things. So, you so when you're doing like a collection, do you just start with, you, do you decide which pieces you're going to do and then just start with one and kind of freestyle it? Yeah. I always just freestyle it along the way. Um, but always that's just the way I do it. And people think I'm crazy because it takes a long time. 
I Photoshop everything real. I'll Photoshop a whole catalog. It just lo- like that's my design is mm-hmm. I'll do all the graphics. Then I'll Photoshop those onto like real shirts and I'll piece together cut and sew, you know, like I'll get leather sleeves off an old jacket I did and I'll Photoshop it onto like, you know, a new jacket yeah. cut and all this shit. It's just the way I do it. People think I'm nuts, but that's how I visually just can do it on the computer and show my guys, this is it. Um, yep. And then they'll go and tech pack it. Just a process. I don't know. It's just the way I am, but um, I don't care how long it takes. I never rush the shit. I'm always late. Like (laughs) with our catalogs, I'm always late. Cause I'm like super, like I said before, I'm super detail oriented. Everything has to be fucking perfect from every little uh, stitch to the way everything is on a jacket. Like I'm super fucking, you know, has to be exactly how I want it. Yeah. Um, Does it start they oh, sit, they send the sample and then you're just making revisions and stuff. Yeah. Like and that I send there. the factory, the Photoshop version too. So I'll be like, Repeat it has to process, look exactly yeah. like this. Look at this. Look at that. If it doesn't look like that, fucking don't send it. Like, so usually my samples come back pretty on point. They look pretty like it's rare that our factory sends back samples that need a lot of adjustments. Cause they see the real item photo. It's more like a rendering or something. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's almost seems like where it's at now. Yeah. Where it's things are like even product shots on websites. It's less like just a flat image and more like a rendering where you can, you know, like the way Nike does it. It's like flip the shoe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right. Everyone does that now. I've just been doing that since forever. (laughs) So people probably don't think I'm as crazy now, but back then, (laughs) like that's not the way people take the long route. Yeah. But for me, which is dope though you keep I it simple it was cool yeah but you're like all your pieces are classic and timeless like you could dig in old pieces you made years ago and they're still relevant today yeah and thank that's you. what's always amazed me about all the thank stuff you. that you put out yeah and that's always been my and that's funny you say that because that's what i always tell my guys when i make shit i always want you to be able to look back in 10 years i want you to go in your closet in 10 years and still be able to wear something like yep. i make shit like this like basics Oh. Right. And when I, I've done some crazy shit like that's kind of out there that might get outdated some stuff, but for the most, I make like pretty clean, basic shit that, you know, it has my own twist to it, but classic pieces, t-shirt graphics, of course, you could be like, that's a, cr- cause I'll go crazy or I'll do regular shit, whatever I'm feeling at the time. But when it's actual cut and sew pretty classic and pretty like wearable later yeah. on in life. Cause that's how I am with stuff that I used to like when I was a kid, like Pendleton's and even, you know, Dickies. I've been wearing Dickies since I was a fucking kid. You know what I mean? Like yeah. shit that I'll wear forever. So I think that when I'm designing stuff like now, like all these, like, you know, even like all these urban brands, you'll see like jeans that are like fucking ripped up everywhere and gigantic bell bottoms and shit. And I'll be yeah. like, that shit's going to go out of style at some point. I just don't make stuff like that. I can make a bunch of money at certain times making stuff that's trending hard like that. But do I want that as in part of my legacy of me doing what's trending or am I just doing the shit that I like? So I just make what I like. I think that's one of the biggest key points why you're still bumping hard 25 years in. Yeah. Because you're not going after the trend. You're staying true to like, the shit that's been here this whole time. Oh yeah, I guess so. Don't get me wrong. I do make stuff that's trending sometimes if I like it. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Because my style evolves too. And just, you know, when you see shit and people come up with some new stuff and you're like, damn, that actually looks pretty fresh. Yep. You know, like even during like the time when, um, I mean, people still wear tighter pants, but during, you know, growing up, we used to wear fucking gigantic pants like kids are wearing now. It's coming that was back. like our thing. That shit's back now. I can't do it. I just yeah. don't like pants that are fucking look like goofy boy pants from the but 90s. But you don't like the super skinnies either. And I don't like the super skinnies. I'm like dicky style. They're baggy, but they're not fucking massive. Fitted. Yeah. They're more, my style is more fitted, but I do make some diamond pants that are oversized. We just did a collab with blind um, skateboards and they used to make back in the day, the blind jeans, which were like huge, like Jinko jeans style, yeah. like massive pants. Um, so they still make the blind jeans, but they're skinnier now. They're not skinny. They're still baggy. But I was like, when we did our collab, I'm like, we're making the big fucking ones from the nineties that I used to wear. So we did drop those last year or two years ago. Huge success. People loved that massive pants, but I'm like, I wore them a couple of times, a little baggy for me. When I wear big ass pants, it makes me feel like I'm five feet tall for some reason. It yeah. like shrinks my whole body. Cause That's of how it, is. it makes That's you look like a little sure. short, like midget guy. It's like right? the long shorts. Yeah. Like knee high yeah. the, at the, at the most. So I'm not really into that baggy thing yeah. that's going on now. I do make some diamond shit that is like that, but I'm not going for that because I'm kind of, yeah, I'm more into like the classic look, I guess, which is, how I dress yeah, is just more normal style. I don't go too crazy, but yeah, um, that's, that's how I got into design. That's how I got into, you know, um, the whole streetwear thing was just that transforming from, you know, knowing about only skate to seeing that there's another world outside of skate. Of course I knew about urban clothes back in the day. Like that was a thing that I was never like into. I wasn't buying any of that. I might've bought like some Nietzsche shit back in the day or something. But um, during those times I was really into before all the urban brands started, I was wearing shit that like, you know, you'd see like Wu-Tang or Mob Deep or all these people wearing like Nautica, Polo, mm-hmm. um, Pelly Hansen, Hilfiger. I was wearing all that shit, North Face, all yep. that stuff. We were all into that. And not really wearing like skate clothes. So again, the like hash skaters would be like, yeah. why are these guys dressing like fucking, fucking rappers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who are these guys? Yeah. Right? Why are they why are they like <laughs> looking like rappers or hoodlums or whatever fucking, you know, skateboarding? Like that was new to the skate world. But that's kind of what helped EMB become so famous too and looked at differently because people from bigger cities like New York and Chicago and even in like London and stuff where there was like more urban kids that were skating. They were like, these guys are like us, you know, these guys kind of like the shit that we like. This is different than what you think about California and skateboarding, which was either punk rock or surf. So exactly. You think surf. Yeah. You're like either a surf skater dude or you're like a punk skate dude, but where these hip hop kids come from Mm -hmm. or gangster kids right at the time. Cause it wasn't like, yeah, we were pretty like, thugged out little skaters that's what we were we were like fully like thug right um which was different for skating back in the day but the la guys when we started meeting the la kids they'd come and they were getting into the same shit as us too 
Um, it's almost crazy how your career followed the path of like where skateboarding went. Like you started in SF, then you go down to LA where street skating, it's like the, one of the meccas of street skating. It's all flat. You can go, you could go forever. Mm-hmm. LA just sprawls. Yeah. And this whole time, like you start to now come up. Are you already thinking about Fairfax or hanging out on Fairfax or are you Wasn't just diamond is a, no, Fairfax wasn't a thing. Um, I forgot what year Supreme opened on Fairfax, but um, before that, no, we used to like, you know, Undefeated was a thing, um, I think. Was Supreme there back then? I don't remember. I don't remember what year Supreme opened on Fairfax, but Fairfax definitely was not a thing yet um, until probably 90. What year is that? Um, not ninety, two thousand and six ish, two thousand seven. Okay. It's almost a year you left. Yeah, girl. Around that time. So what happened is Supreme existed. Um, Supreme was my best account in LA that sold Diamond, especially after when the um, fits the same model. Scarcity. Yeah, when the shoe dropped and everything, um, they couldn't keep in stock my Diamond OG script shirt. So. They'd always be like, dude, we fucking kids are lining up for this fucking shirt at Supreme, right? Like, that was like a thing. Um, so they were selling tons of my shit and Brooklyn Project, which was right on Melrose around the corner, um, which also made me think, like, if I opened. So, how Fairfax happened is, and when Fairfax started to blow up, Supreme was there and Supreme had their fans or whatever. Brooklyn Projects was around the corner. Um, the hundreds had a store, not a store, but they had an office on Rosewood, which is on Fairfax and Rosewood. They had a little office. That's where they ran their whole brand out of, um, my friend, my friend, Chad, we call him Shoemaster, the sneakerhead kid. He was all into the same shit as me. Um, he wasn't a skater, but he was all into fucking fitted hats and, uh, sneakers and streetwear and all the shit. And I met him when I very first moved to LA randomly. He was like my non-skate friend, um, but he collected sneakers and all this stuff. Um, and I got along with him because I was all into Jordans and shit too. Even though I was a skater, I was like fully engulfed in like collecting Jordans and Air Maxes and all this shit, which was not typical for skaters at the time. Um, we became friends. One day we're driving down Fairfax. He's like, dude, you know how cheap these places are over here? We should open up a hat store. Should fucking open up a, a fitted hat store. Um, so he told me that idea. Then I became friends with these guys in Hawaii that had a hat store and we did a collab with them. We did a diamond times, they were called fitted Hawaii. Um, so they just sold fitted hats and I did a collab with them. Then we talked about, they were like, what if we opened a hat store in LA? And I was like, oh shit, me and my friend were just talking about that. We should do it on Fairfax. So that idea came about and I was, so I went and I found this space on Fairfax and it was like 2,500 bucks a month for a pretty good spot. Um, and then I was like, fuck, I'm going to get this. I'm going to open this hat store. So I um, got Stevie Williams involved. So me and Stevie and these guys from Fitted Hawaii, were going to open this hat store. We're going to call it Fitted LA. Um, opening diamond store i had had didn't even cross my mind right i'm just a small fucking skate brand yeah i dropped a nike but i wasn't i didn't i was still just making t-shirts hoodies hats 
um, you know, occasional would make like a jacket or something. Um, I was doing some collabs, but what happened is I went downtown to my friend, had a streetwear store. They were like, kind of like how, like a union type of store. Um, they were called Situation Normal and they were in downtown LA. And uh, my friend Greg owned the store and he sold all like, like, you know, streetwear brands that were like pretty expensive at the time. Um, super cool store. I went down there and I was hanging out. We're drinking some beers or whatever in the store late at night. And I was like, yeah, man, I think I'm going to open up a hat store. And they're like, what do you mean you're going to open a hat store? I'm like, I'm going to open a hat store. They're like, we're opening a hat store. I'm like, where? They're like, we're probably going to open up a hat store in Fairfax. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I'm opening up a hat store in Fairfax. Like, that was what I'm thinking. I'm doing with the guys from Fitted. They're like, no way. That's crazy. How random. Yeah. Right. That we both had the same idea. So like, let's just do it together. And I'm like, all right, let's do it together. Um, then whatever, a week goes by or whatever. I think we're doing it at our place. Like we found a place. I'm like, I already got my place. They're like, yeah, but can you get out? We got this other place. Something like this happened. I don't really recall because it's a long time ago. So with that, um, and they're like, yeah, we're going to call it Hall of Fame. So that's how Hall of Fame came about. So um, they were going to call it Hall of Fame. I was like, well, fuck. Then Stevie's like, that's a lot of partners. You know, it's a lot of people, all this stuff. And I was like, well, what the fuck? If they're going to do the hat store, what am I going to do? And I was like, Damn, what if I just guys. opened a diamond store? Right? I'm like, I already have the space. It's fucking 2,500 bucks. <laughs> fuck, I guess I'll just open a diamond store. But like, am I going to be able to make rent? Like, am I going to be able to sell enough stuff? Like, are people going to come, you know? So, um, I remodeled the store, fucking built it out. Um, had no idea what was going to happen. Um, made a bunch of new shit, like did a whole new line of t-shirts, made some like cut and sew jackets with my friend. Like we did some denim jackets with floor flowers inside. Like I was like, I have to have some shit that looks like real clothes. Right. <laughs> did a bunch of hats. We had all of our skate hardware. Um, I made this big circular counter. It was all glass, spent a bunch of money making this whole thing. Um, posted it on the internet. It was like, we're opening. Didn't know what to think. Fucking Opening day, show up in the morning, fucking line of hundreds of fucking kids down the block. I was like, what the fuck? Right? I was like, I had no idea. Yes, I'm on Hypebeast talking to kids. I'm on Soul Collector. Had no idea. Literally hundreds and hundreds of kids. Wow. Like a, a line, not just long, but thick, like huge crowd. I was like, shut the fuck up. Right? Um, open the door. It was like a phenomenon. Do you have security <laughs> at this point? No. Yeah, I'm like, you don't even have security. She opens the door like, come on in. Never yeah. seen anything like wow. this. Yeah, we sold out of almost everything the first day in the whole store, right? There was like all these kids. I was like, holy shit, this is actually something, right? So that's how the store in Fairfax was born. Um, Not the same location you're at now. No. Yeah. This was, so what happened during that time is I got the spot. There was no stores. There was only Supreme, which was down the street that was selling diamond. So they stopped selling diamond after I opened the store. Um, so when I was about to, when I got that space, it took me a year to open because we're going back and forth at the hat thing. I was remodeling. Um, what's it called? Sal Barbier, who was a pro skater that 
I known forever. He opened a store on the corner during this time. He got a location. He called it SLB, Sal Lucas Barbier. That's his name. It's called SLB store. So he opened and flight club got the spot right next to me after I got it. They opened and the hundreds opened. They turned their office into a store. It all happened at the same time. So we all opened within weeks of each other. Are you nervous about that? Or are you like, this is awesome. It's all the homies. Yeah. It was yeah. crazy. Okay. We all knew. Yeah. Like I was like, flight clubs next door, which was amazing because yeah. back then um, I was getting Madge free shoes from Nike, like SBs and shit, which are probably worth insane amounts of money now. But I was like, ah, they're just SBs. So I would go next door, give it to them on consignment. And then when people would come in and buy them, I'd pick out all the Jordans that I never had before and just get them for free. Right. So I'd get free SBs, bring them in there. They'd sell whatever money they sold for. I just exchange them for Jordan. So I got like crazy Jordans from back then. Um, from there, all the ones that I never had from before I was able just to get for free basically. But yeah, we all opened around the same time. So when I opened the store, there was like this crazy line. It was insane. And that's when I was like, yeah, I was like, damn, this is actually like a thing, right? Diamond. So that's how Fairfax, all of us together, kind of like, that's how the whole Fairfax block became a thing. And Crooks and Castles moved upstairs at an office above our store. Um, That's how I kind of got into the whole cut and sew thing. Cause I would go up there and they were like the guys from Crooks and Castles, they were originally designing for all the urban brands in New York. Like, I don't remember what brands, but like Echo and Sean John and those type of brands, Rockaware. I don't know what brands they actually worked for, but they started Crooks and Castles as a streetwear brand. So when I went up there, they had my shit. You'd go, you know, my line is like t-shirts, skate hard goods, some sweatshirts, jacket here and there. Their shit was like, pants full outfits fucking sweatsuits like yeah, crazy kinds of game. puffer jackets like all the shit all over print i was like what the fuck this is like a real company how yeah. do you guys do this <laughs> right and they're just yeah. in there in the office above our store like full apparel brand i was like what the fuck so that inspired me to start making more apparel and they were all like you know full they've been doing this shit for years beforehand in new york um so they really inspired me to get into the whole cut and sew shit on a heavier level because obviously I loved the stuff and I would design it, but I didn't know like how to, how to actually like make it. So that's after, what I was going to ask you at this time, how many employees you have as diamond? Is it just you designing still? And yeah, during that time when we first opened the store, probably like five people in the whole brand. Yeah. What year is this one? Everyone's- Around 2006 ish. Yeah. And the camaraderie's there, 2006, huh? 2007. Everyone's not battling, like, I'm selling shirts and you're trying to sell shirts. And- no, we all collab. So that's so, so. that was how all the collaboration started. So that, I'm sure brands did collabs and stuff before our time. There were streetwear brands before us, like a lot in New York and in, you know, LA and um, things like that, but like extra large and then you know, like Futura and Stash, and they all had their brands in New York and things like that that were like before us. Hayes made stuff, like all these people made shit that was considered streetwear. But I think we were like the new age of streetwear. Um, All of us kind of came in and started collabing with each other. So we were doing like Crooks and Castles Diamond, Hundreds Diamond. You know, then there was new streetwear brands in New York, like Mighty Healthy and fucking um, 
10 deep and all these people. So we all started doing all the brands started doing collabs together and it became like this community. And we're all on the hype beast forums, talking to all the kids, dropping collabs. That's kind of how this all blew up. So it all blew up from the brands, people seeing that all the brands were like one community. So we were just like this whole culture. We started like a whole new culture. There was all the sneaker heads gravitated to us. All the urban kids gravitated to us because the whole urban thing kind of died back then. Like Sean John and fucking Rock Aware, like people weren't really into that shit anymore. So they all kind of like gravitated to these new streetwear brands that were from Chicago, New York, LA, San Francisco. Like we're all doing collabs together. We're doing parties in New York. We're doing parties in San Francisco, LA with all these different brands. Um, it just became like this fucking thing. Um, and that's how Fairfax ended up becoming the Mecca of streetwear during that time. Cause we're all on Fairfax. Um, Fairfax just blew the fuck up. So it became a shopping mall outside brands, random brands that no one ever heard of start opening stores on Fairfax to become part of. So this is my second coming. The first was Mecca skateboarding, EMB skate. Then so luckily I was part of that, which launched the brand. Then I was part of this new Fairfax thing. Right. So um, that's how streetwear, current streetwear now well, now we're all considered old brands, obviously, because this is fucking years ago and there's like a lot of new brands, but that's how Fairfax really popped off and became so popular was the community. How we were talking to all the kids, everyone felt like they were part of the community. They all love these brands. They're able to talk to the owners on the internet and we're all collabing together. So we're all dropping, you know, collections together. We're throwing parties at the Crook store. We're throwing parties, you know, at Diamond. Just this whole thing. We're going to New York and renting out bars and nightclubs and throwing multi-brand parties and doing all the shit. And it just became like this thing, you know, a life even moved to Fairfax. A lot of people moved to Fairfax. They weren't really involved in our thing. I love a life. Like a life was tight, but you know, a lot of these brands were probably too cool for our new streetwear scene. Cause they were like a, an older brand, but those guys came around. Um, is there Supreme much was there. Already? But Supreme wasn't really trying to be involved in our thing either. So we kind of like, too big or too um, corporate at that point. Who Supreme? Yeah, they weren't at all. Yeah. No, not no. They didn't. They didn't. Supreme didn't end up becoming big till way after that. They were big in the smaller culture, right? But they weren't like popular like they are now. Yeah, back then. They were just like us. Yeah. They were just like any of our streetwear brands. They just weren't. Um, the owner, the, that's the thing, is the owner wasn't part of it, right? So the guys worked at the shop, but, you know, the owner, this guy, James, he wasn't part of. See, we're all the owners doing shit together. You're right? there. You're at the store. Yeah, and shit. so that's, that's why, a... probably why Supreme wasn't really involved in our whole movement that mm-hmm. we were doing. But obviously Supreme, Supreme. So they, they had their own thing going on. But yeah. Fairfax as becoming a thing was um, Hall of Fame too. We were all doing shit together. It was fun, man. It was a different time. We threw a big block party one year, Crooks and Diamond. We threw a block party. What year was that? Fuck, it had to be 10 years ago. So 2013. I think I remember that because we started coming out to LA in like 2011, 2012 and literally Lan, 
stop, get weed, and then go straight to Fairfax. Yeah. Walk around. That was the routine. Yeah. You know, and uh, you guys would always have, you know, all the hottest rap, like everybody that was connected to the streetwear scene would always be out there, even just like shopping. Yeah. Remember we ran into currency in Diamond uh, Mm -hmm. around these years and he was just in there kicking it. Yeah. And that's another thing that I was doing that people weren't doing um, during that time is Yes, we were doing all the streetwear collabs, but I was off doing rapper collabs too. Yeah. So I was doing streetwear collabs with all the brands, but then I was doing collabs with Currency. It was Khalifa, Rick Ross, Big Sean, Cassie, Diddy, fucking everyone at the time that was like popping, I was doing collabs with. Jadakiss, fucking The Locks, I was doing like all these crazy collabs, mixtapes and all this shit. So I was kind of going... I was doing skate stuff. I was doing music stuff. I was doing, you know, the streetwear stuff, the sneaker stuff. So that's why Diamond kind of became so well-versed in all cultures. It's kind of what we know today as like a lifestyle brand, like a streetwear lifestyle brand. Yeah. That seems like, you know, the beginnings of it. Yeah. And people were tripping on that too when I started doing all the music stuff. Um, I was well, dropping mixtapes. I didn't so my first mixtape was with Soul Assassins, DJ Mugs. We did that with some shirts, and people were like, "What the fuck? You got a mixtape?" I'm like, "Yeah, with these dudes, fucking LA OGs, right? Cypress yeah. Hill. Like, Dude, I'm, yeah. I'm doing some shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Way back, yeah. I was tripping that I was doing that, but then yeah, that evolved into yeah, all the rappers coming to me at this point because they saw you know our whole movement on Fairfax, and then everyone's like hitting me up like let's do some shit like let's drop a mixtape or let's do like a collection and i was like this is crazy like rappers and shit that i was looking up to or coming to me to do all this stuff i was like it's amazing so because they merch was like music merch back then wasn't like a thing yeah. really you it was know? rare so, yeah, you have to go to the concert or yeah something. so i was making their merch basically it would be yep. a collab but for them it's like oh now we got our own clothes out on the street and we did it with diamond that's how they and the of timing of it, especially with Wiz and Currency. Mm-hmm. Like I credit them for mainstreaming a lot of weed smoking. Like they got a lot of people to start, even just smoking papers yeah. and all this other stuff. Like mm-hmm. they got a lot of people to get take their weed smoking a lot more serious. Yeah. You they know, were like, like the second like a thing. Yeah, so yeah, it was like Cypress Hill yeah. and then the new the yeah, people that were younger. Yeah, exactly. Sure. It was Wiz and Currency. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They, they made it cool to like smoke weed all day. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was something that we did too, which was cool, was that we were like making weed shit back then yep. in apparel. Because there wasn't really brands. Like even the oh, weed yeah. brands. The weed brands didn't really exist. It was like you go to the you know, you'd go to the dispensaries or you'd buy weed on the street and it was just, you're buying the strains of weed, but it wasn't really, there wasn't branded product. Some, maybe Cypress Hill and those guys, I mean, maybe they had shit back then. I don't know. Just Ziplocs. Yeah. Just Ziploc bags. Yeah. But it wasn't mainstream at all. But we're here selling fucking skate bolts inside weed grinders. We're doing clothes with whiz and (laughs) currency with weed all over it and fucking all over print weed shoes with currency. Like we're doing all this shit back then in the cannabis world where people are, you know, we were selling shit tons of that. I'm making grip tape with fucking weed leaf cutouts in it. I was like fully doing all the weed shit. We were dropping, we dropped rolling papers back then all over print diamond rolling papers. Fire. Fucking um, 
we did rolling papers made out of um, gold, like real gold. Did you ever see those? Yeah. There were papers that were gold and they were diamond. Um, just a lot of weed shit back then. I dropped probably one. I'm probably the first brand to do any weed thing. I did a, um, there's this dude in San Francisco named Chosen and he had a brand called Trippy Sticks, which were weed pens. And I, I did a weed, was I did a shit. weed pen with him yeah. like fucking 12 years ago. Or something. They were the OG. Yeah. UCJ yeah. yeah. blew that. Trippy sticks. I remember being yeah. on the East coast yeah. being like, you, can you get, what's up with these trippy sticks? I literally yeah. remember asking homies like, what's yeah. up with those? We're asking about that and cookies. What's up with some real cookies, man? We keep getting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So back then we we're doing like tons of weed stuff with yeah. currency and, um, alchemist and, um, whiz. And then we're doing like papers and grinders and trippy stick pens and just shit. Like not yeah. thinking like that it's anything, but when we would drop that shit, it would go crazy. I'm like, damn, I guess a lot of people like weed. Right. Um, is it organic how all these come about? Yeah, totally. It just keeps seems like your whole story is super organic. Like not. Yeah. It all just seemed out. to happen. Yeah. You know, right place, so, right time. And you're just being, you guys are all being true to you. Like, the way you guys all came together on Fairfax and started collabing and stuff, it's almost how I, I wish would have happened more for cannabis. Yes. Because, yeah. like, I can parallel cannabis brands and where they're at now to, like, this era and where streetwear is, where it's, it's blowing up. People are knowing each other. It's more and more products, flagship stores, people starting to connect with the people. But I see less of the, hey, well, we won't be competition. We'll just collab. We're Switzerland. Diamond. Yeah. I'm Switzerland. Yeah. I've done Cookies collab. I've mm -hmm. done Jungle Boys collab. Yeah. You know, well, I've worked on some shit with Sherbinsky. It hasn't come out. Oh, it didn't come out. So I don't know if we're still doing that. But um, I've done stuff with weed brands. You know, we did the trippy sticks. I've done the fucking, I did a weed collab with um, an old brand called Concierge. We did, I have another brand. Yeah, the homie Aaron. We know him. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah Amex. So, I remember that. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. that's with yeah. Grizzly. So, oh, my other brand's yeah, my yeah. grip tape company called Grizzly Grip Tape. I remember tape. when you were posting that up. Yeah, we did yeah. Grizzly Glue. Yeah. We've been watching you, man. Yeah. We've been watching yeah. You. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, we did that. Um, we're dropping some shit. I just talked to the guys from Jeter at the thing. We're going to do some Jeter shit. I'm down to do collab shit. And I've even said that to someone like, bro, like why are the weed brands not collabing with each other? Like what is up with that competition? Probably. 100%. But it's crazy. Cause the weed coming from the hippies is supposed to be all about love and like spreading it. Not like a money grab or any of that other, you know what I mean? I just think it's a lot of the brands do don't they box know themselves each in. other. Maybe people just don't know each other like we did in streetwear. Yeah. Like we all like kind of like knew each other and we're like doing shit together and the weed brands. I don't know. I, I have no it's idea. lost in translation. But I always think that. I'm like, why is there not fucking alien labs and cookies and jungle boys and fucking Jeter or fucking, you know, yeah. anyone like, you know, it's a lot why is there of not uh, Shabinsky, personal issues times cookies, like all this shit. It's like, why does this not, why is this not a thing? But I do it. I do collabs, but they collab with me, not because we're making weed. They think, you know, they're doing collabs with me as Diamond, as a skate brand, of course. But no, we do weed shit too. But I'm just, I always wondered that why. But they should. People should come together. There's no, in my world, in skate, competitions like, except, you know, people skate in skate contests against each other. 
but it's all love. It's not like when someone wins, you're like, oh, that guy won. It's like, it's all love. It's always been like that. It's always community. Everyone's stoked for each other. We're like same surfing with, and same shit. Same with streetwear. It's like streetwear, we're all hyped. Like another brand's not competition. We're just doing shit together. Like, let's do some shit together. You bring your fans. We bring our fans. Just like music. You know, people are on you know, a mixtape. It's like, okay, so Rick Ross is going to have future because future fans are going to get on Rick Ross's album and in yep. Rick Ross's album, um, fans are going to be like, Oh, future's tight. Same thing. So with weed, that's how it should be too. I just, people do it. I guess you just don't see a lot of it. I think the legalities and like the past of having to keep it on the low and keep it on the hush has like really tainted that part of. Yeah. And that's over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like time That's to over. it's time to unite. Right? You hearing it from the man himself. Like if I feel like if brands don't start collabing more and coming together more, they get like they're gonna get left on the other traditional side, which is just shrinking as we know it, where people are just going to dispensaries yeah. now and shit. They're not it's not how it used to and be. And people know each other in the weed game. They For really sure. do. And people are friends when they see each other. You know, it's all love. But yeah, why aren't people doing shit together? They should. There should be more collab. It's the mindset of you're taking from my audience or we're not, and it's not that. Yeah, but it should be more sharing. It has to be. And that's how it used to be. That's the culture. It needs all, everyone should be part of the same culture. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's how skateboarding is. That's Mm -hmm. how streetwear is. That's how the sneaker community is. Everyone's friends. Everyone's down to help everybody out. Weed, people do it, but not enough. More people should do it. There should be more collaboration in weed. Yeah, I agree. And especially with open arms, uh, with people outside of weed coming into the cannabis community, because people realize like this guy's been smoking 20 years and like, yeah, he hasn't had to grow it or he hasn't had to do this and that, but they're still part of the community. And so now we accept brands that like, I think it's one of the coolest things ever as a cannabis brand collabing with brands that are known for cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. That's like one of the goals 20 years yeah. ago was writing brands that of like one day. Allow it or acknowledge it to yeah. be like, yeah, we'll do a collab. Like if someone like you know? say, you know, um, just make up a brand like, you know, say uh, Backpack Boys. Like <laughs> if they're doing like a gelato times something, it should be a Sherbinsky times. Yeah. It's like instead of grabbing someone's strain and doing a cross, why not just collab with the creator? Right. Yeah. And it's like, that's a better look. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, better for longevity. I'm not pulling too. out these brand. I'm just thinking yeah, of anyone. Yeah. I'm just saying not these people specifically, but I'm just saying weed in general should be more collaboration. I think because it's all love. Everyone's friends, but I don't see enough of it. You're but right we're doing about, it. You're right about that too, though, is that it is what it is online. I think social media plays a little bit of an aspect in it too. But when everyone meets up in person, man, it's all love. Yeah, And so we need to display that more for the community to grow the community so that it doesn't end up just being a bunch of corporate bullshit where, you know, ends up like cigarettes or like cheap yeah. beer or something. Because that's yeah. my worry is that like there's levels of, of brands and how even like how you're seeing streetwear merge into the designer world and how that's continued to happen. Like look at Louis Vuitton, mm-hmm. their new shoes, like those are skate shoes. Yeah, they're skate shoes. Crazy. Totally like. Huh. And, and, and you look at it and you're like, oh, it looks like the Osiris and DBS and <laughs> yeah. Etnies and all the shoes that we used hey, to high rock. fashion collaborates with people now. They used to not, right? Like exactly. fucking Louboutin Supreme. Like, it's like, what the fuck? How, how would have that ever happened, you know, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago? It's it unheard of. Yeah, but. Maybe no. they had the same epiphany. Yeah, but 
No, weed brands are great. It is like streetwear. A lot of people now, especially, they're all making apparel too. Mm -hmm. People that have brands, they're selling weed and they're like, have such a big following that, of course, they're making t-shirts, they're making jackets, they're making, they're becoming streetwear brands with weed. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. Shout out to- Collab more with people. Alien Labs, they're in Zoomies and shit. That's big for cannabis. I look at that, I get hyped. Yeah. Because I'm like, this is what we need. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Jeter shared a booth with us at, um, well, just right next door to us at um, the Champs Trade Show. They have a full line of clothes. Like they're doing it. Cookies is, you know, big and zoomies. They have all their shit there. A lot of brands are doing clothes. Um, Yeah. It's like weed brands are kind of becoming a new tier of streetwear brands and everyone should collab. It's fun. It brings all the kids together that are fans of every brand. Um, but we're doing it and we've yeah. been doing it. I've been collabing mm-hmm. with weed brands and rappers and everybody, but it's nice to see, and there should be more of it in the, um, weed community. I, I think. agree, bro. Yeah. And it will. I think that played and what you just explained, what happened to Fairfax without that aspect, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I don't feel like. You know, yeah. there wasn't that unity, that vibe of like, I'm going to this store, then I'm going to go to this store. And then I literally just walking next door to every single store yeah. and feeling welcome at every spot. And you could see the crossover and feel that. Whereas if it would have been competition, you would have felt like you got to choose sides and just went to one and then leave or some shit, you know, versus like, no, nah, I'm going to get a little something from everybody. And it's, it's dope like that. Yeah. No, I agree. But collaboration's fun. Everyone does it in every every uh, every genre of music to clothes to you know um, devices, video games, yeah. and weed. But yeah. weed could be bigger in it. But the weed stuff's super fun. Um, you you've had a lot of collabs that are like out of the box. Yeah, we have. Where you're like, you know, they're not they're not a clothing brand by any means, but it's something you're into. You can tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I saw you did the Modelo. My homie yeah. drinks Modelos religiously yeah. and shit. Like, <laughs> we do a lot of stuff with Chevelle. Chevelle. Yeah. yeah, we. I I love Chevelles, of course. Yeah. From like I said earlier, Fausto that made me want to get Chevelles and all the you know all the drug dealers and people that were like cool when I was a kid in San Francisco. I had muscle cars. You know, so I was always like, oh, Chevelles are the shit. So when I started getting uh, enough money to buy them, I started getting into the whole muscle car thing. But yeah, so we have an ongoing Chevy collab that we do a couple times a year. We drop Chevy collections, which is super fucking cool. It's almost cool. I mean, just as cool as doing Nikes for me because I'm into the cars. So it doesn't translate as much as it does. If I drop a Nike, all the kids go crazy. Like people care about Chevys, but not as much, obviously it's yeah. kind of like an older thing. Iconic <laughs> brand though. Yeah. It's like so, be able to work. What's it like that? working with brands like that and their processes? It's cool. It's just, um, they make it a little tough on design. Um, cause they're really, you know, critical about their, trademarks like you can't like put, put the diamond on top of the chevy you can't like you know i have to like when i send their first designs over i always have all these crazy ideas and they make me change shit but other than that it's pretty dope um they let us do pretty much a lot of stuff that we w- want to do you know i've done all kinds of chevy stuff from chevelle impala done novas 
I've done Corvette stuff. I've done all kinds. Um, Camaros. I haven't done any new Chevy stuff, like new Corvettes or new Chevy trucks and stuff, which when we sell the shit to shops, they're always like, man, you guys should do like new Corvette stuff. That's going to kill it. And I'm like, I'm not into that. I'm making fucking old school Corvette stuff because that's just personally what I like. But no, we do a lot of stuff like that. Um, Modelo is another one. Um, So many collabs. But the last couple years, I've been really focusing on just Diamond. Um, I've been doing so many collabs all these years. Um, at one point, I think it was like two years ago. Um, we had like a collab every single weekend all year long. We had like Holy fucking shit. 50 something collabs. So we had to drop a new collab every Saturday. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah. why are we doing so much? But it's, for me, it's fun. Cause I'm like, yeah. Oh, I can new. make some Mickey Mouse shit. I can make some fucking Bugs Bunny stuff. Like it's just fun designing it all, mm-hmm. you know, and incorporating diamond. But then I'm like, it ends up being everything we do as a collab. So we stopped doing that. Um, we do. We still drop a collab like at least every month, but um, not as crazy as before. Because I want to try to, you know, I'm trying to just sell regular diamond shit without it being collab. That's like what I'm on now is like way less collab, push more of just my design, exclusive diamond stuff. Um, so How I've do you filter out all the brands hitting you up for collabs versus the ones you want to do? Are you having your people reach out or is it just all this incoming and you pick and choose? I just tell people the truth, really. Like my our collab schedule is pretty backed up. Um but I do do collabs with people that um, I feel are going to make a difference or someone that I respect, like an, even new brands or new music artists and things that I like. I do shit with people still, mm-hmm. even on a whim. I can like, if it's just like a t-shirt thing, um, even for like some, like say a rapper or something, they're like, oh, I have an album coming out. I want to do a diamond collab. I'm like, cool, I could fucking get shit done in two weeks if we don't do any cutting. So we can make t-shirts, we could do a sweatshirt and have a party at the store. I do shit like that all the time. Like those quick fucking drops. Keeps it fresh too. Yeah. So I do shit like that. Because you're still passionate about it. You can tell. It's just fun. Yeah. Because I'm designing everything still. So I'm just like, that's my whole thing um, is I just like designing. Even when I'm doing this shit, it's like, I just like making different stuff, you know? You kind of get, you know, it's not that it gets boring making t-shirt graphics all day, but I like to make other stuff too, you know? That's like when I talk to you about the bags, like what type of bags are you going to do for your cannabis line? Yeah. You did like a wax paper, old school yeah, feel I made bag. It you went like, way different. Yeah. And I, I saw that and I was like, damn, that's what makes you so important to any game you come into is that you're not just trying to um, go with the flow. You're going against the grain, but staying true to you and everything you do. And I think that that like really sets you apart as a designer for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks. And that's the thing with the weed bags. I was like, I want to do a bag. I didn't want to do jars right now. We are doing jars too, but we just haven't dropped jars. But with our weed bags, same thing. I was like, okay, everyone has super colorful cartoon graphic bags. Um, That's cool and all. I like the idea that a lot of people are doing the bags too, that they're kind of like, trading them like they're trading cards or yeah, something they're which collecting is cool. and shit. yeah they're collecting the bags 
But I just wanted to, even though I make crazy graphics and all that shit like that on my t-shirts, I was like, I'm just going to make our shit more like grown in a way. Yeah. More like um, classic. So I got bags that i never seen before that kind of just look like um, they're paper, like a bag you would get at Whole Foods or something. Yeah. Like they're just brown Brown paper paper bags. But, you know, they have the Mylar shit inside. So it's still the same. Just the outside looked like that. So we did that. Which did look different. And it, when you go into a shop, it obviously looks different yeah, than what other people out. do. Um, yeah, even with this yeah, stuff, like we did a diamond, diamond top, you know, Which like custom. Very, it's got that custom vibe shape. To it. Yeah, custom shape tops. Our gummies are like that too, just a bigger one. And then our, um, our jars are, you know, just regular size jars with, for the, actual flower with a diamond top too and and so people know you have california drops of cannabis products and then yeah. you also have the d9 d8 yeah worldwide. so that's this is completely yes. different so i have diamond cannabis co which is all flower um we as of right now our flower we're growing in oakland we have um a huge facility in oakland um I don't own the facility. I'm partners with the guys in the facility. They grow all of our own strains. Mm-hmm. I work with, you know, we work together on the genetics. They come up with shit. We try it. We kind of, you know, do that with them to come up with our own strains. But I do have my own in Sacramento that we've been building out for. It's been taking forever, but we do have a diamond only um, grow in Sacramento that's almost done. Um, that's fun. Just that whole process of building the what shit do you think out. about that? That side of it. It's cool. I mean, you know, I've all these growers like Bay Area people, um, I've known my whole life too. So I've always watched them and just tripped off of their whole thing. You know, some of them, they're, they're so like nerdy about it. Yeah. Right? They're like yep. so into it, yeah. you know, so into all the genetics and, you know, um, they are real great at it. It's amazing. But, you know, I don't know shit about that. I'm not going to go, you know, grow my own strain on my own. I have these guys that help me, which is amazing. So um, our shit in Sacramento is going to be done soon. But right now we're growing in Oakland. We'll continue with the guys in Oakland too. They do like, you know, they have a huge facility. They're super dope. Everyone loves all the stuff that comes out of there for us. They do some other brands too, but um, it's fun, man. I like the weed game, you know. I just like seeing it, especially our own strains, just watching it grow and going there and tripping on the plants. And it's just a beautiful thing. It's it's great. I mean, I've been around it my entire life, you know. Mm-hmm. Like literally since I was a kid, I've been around weed. And my uncle used to grow weed in Humboldt when I was a little kid. Like there's just like my brother's been growing weed and We've all been smoking weed since we were little kids. When my brother was like 13, we had weed leaves on the roof. He's fucking growing <laughs> weed on the roof of our house. Like I've always been around weed. So it's just like part of my life. So it's cool that I have my own grow. Um, I think that's going to be fun. Uh, it's literally almost done. Um, we're opening a dispensary in San Francisco. Um, that's almost done. We're building that out. Um, I know dispensaries aren't doing very well right now, but um, it's just the legal weed market's really tough. But 
I don't care. I still want to open a dispensary just to have one and have a diamond dispensary and carry my friends' brands, have yep. our brands. And we're also going to sell apparel in there or diamond shit. So it's kind of like a skate shop, weed shop, but obviously kids can't go in there. You have to be 21, which sucks, yeah. but we tried to make it so you could section it off, but the, the city's not allowing it. But um, we are going to have like diamond apparel shop plus skateboards plus weed there. And it's actually my apartment that I talked about earlier that I was shipping the shit out of when I very first started diamond in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. you can see it when you walk out. So you walk out the front door and it's on the next corner right there. So I'm like right there. Yeah. And randomly my friend owned the building, um, the apartment building. Yeah. It's an apartment building. It used to be a bar and it's right on the corner of, um, of Oak and Divisadero. So right on Oak and Vizdero, where we're opening our first diamond dispensary. What's the shoot date for that opening? Do they have a before rough the date? end of the year? Oh Damn, wow, that's dope. Yeah, that's we're already you know we, we we put in the floors, we've done everything. It's just like the city stuff we're dealing with now, but it's pretty much almost all the way built out. But I can't say a month yet. But we're gonna do a big thing. We were supposed to open on four twenty, but you know shit never goes as planned. Yeah, it took a long time, but we have like a big lounge downstairs, not like a legal smoking lounge, but somewhere where people can just like hang out. It's dope. It's a super dope spot. And it's in my old neighborhood. It's yeah. like right there. Super cool. Give you a reason to go I don't out know how it's going to do. Cause I always, you know, hear all the horror, horror stories of dispensaries. Some do good, but most of them aren't doing well right now, but at least we're selling all of our other diamond shit. And I just want to have it. So yeah. I'm not really worried about if it's crushing it or not. Yeah. Hopefully it does. But we're not just going to sell diamond. We're going to sell all the, all my friends' brands and shit too. So hundred percent. Cool. And if you just take the same approach like you've done with everything else, it'll it'll always do well. I think that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Like we're talking with you is that like you gotta work. You gotta have good relationships and and work with people and then stay true to yourself. To everything you're doing, no yeah. matter what it is. Like it seems like you never really got. Um, shiny object syndrome or like try to just chase a bag or anything like that you really like created shit that you wanted to use you wanted to rock and that influence is just carried over and continues to yeah i'm just blessed that the things i've done have been successful thank god other people like them yeah that other people like the shit i make right Mm -hmm. that's always been a thing for me too it's like when we're talking about the trends right i'm like okay you chase a trend right but then it's like that shit's over now what? I've been designing shit for 25 years now and my style personally changes. And I guess my fans just evolve with me because everyone's style changes. But luckily the things that I become more into, like I might not like this style of jacket five years ago, but I'm making it now and my fans seem to like it because it's fucking doing good. So everyone's evolving with my style thank god that it's still going 25 years later because i'm still designing everything myself i don't even have a design team i have me and one other guy that's it and that guy does all the tech packs and he'll do like when i do like t-shirt graphics he'll like lay out the colorways and he sends it to me just because i don't have time to like do that shit anymore i'll like i'm designing everything um that's crazy though then he does that do i used people- to have a whole design team at one point but yeah. i was like over it because a lot of shit wasn't coming out to 
how I would want it. And I'd always just have to go back and change everything and be like, oh, well, I like this idea. But then, you know, I'd have to go do it anyway. So at one point years ago, I was like, I'm just going to fucking do everything. Like, I don't care. Like, I like doing it and it's not that bad. Um, but I do drop a lot of product. I have a new catalog um, once a month because um, we used to just do wow. seasonal. Um, you know, we do spring, summer, fall, mm-hmm. holiday. Um, but now we do spring, summer, fall, holiday. But I have a quick strike drop every month. We do a full catalog of 10 graphics, some cut and sew. Um, so it's T-shirts, hats, um, accessories, skateboards. Every month we do a new drop where I do 10 new graphics. So I design a lot of shit. So Dude. I have 10 new, completely new graphics every month um, that I do all myself. And plus our holiday, spring, summer, all that too. Um, not including collaborations. Collabs are on top of that. So I'm just fucking, I design so much shit. It's insane, but I like it. It's just, it's just art. You know, I'm just like designing shit on the computer like every day i'll draw sketches or i'll just do it all on the computer i started doing some ai shit for my weed bags which is fun so on the weed stuff on some of the crazy weed stuff i just started fucking with the ai stuff which is kind of funny because like this just makes it so easy for people because me being like an og like graphic designer and now you could just punch in like fire car fucking hot girl you know in space and then this picture comes up and it's like holy shit exactly what i typed is there add weed leaves then there's weed leaves and you're like this is crazy so the whole ai thing's going to change graphics and art and apparel and i mean it is already everything a lot of people are using ai but i started fucking around with it and it's pretty amazing of course i still love just doing all the photoshop stuff myself because when you do the ai it's when it appears, it's like you either you didn't really think of it like that, but you wrote down what you wanted it to be. But the way it comes out isn't what you were really visualizing. So even with that, I still go in and have to Photoshop some shit and change it around. But it's pretty cool. It's fucking next level shit that you can do that. But I still do it the traditional way and just do my own graphics from my head. But the AI stuff's going to. Anyone can really do graphics now. Pretty with, crazy. With that yeah. much designing, do you have a, like, a, to divulge a little bit, do you have a process where you're like, I put music on, I do this, I, it's, or is it just Never. any time of the day, all different? I'm weird like that. Never music. Like, and people always ask me that too. And uh, I like complete silence when I'm designing. Like I can't even have the TV on. I'm just like, I'm in my zone and it's just, I'm just in a zone. I could do fucking 20 graphics in one day, right? Like I'll just sit there on the computer and just nerd out and make graphics. Like no music, no talking, kids in the other room. Like I'm just in the zone. Yeah, that's how I do it. Complete silence when I'm designing. I don't like having music playing. I don't like the TV on, none of that shit. I'm just getting my design zone. I like to hear that. People need to know that. Would you agree right. that finding a good graphic designer is probably one of the hardest parts about having a brand? For me, it if has you don't been. Design? Yeah, for me, it has it's been. It's a good thing you just chose to be like, yo, you know what? I'm just going to do yeah. this. Because we've, we've had, I mean, dude, it's been. Multiple it's, brands. We're trouble. hoping to ask you. 
<laughs> hey, I could, I, could, I could design some shit for you, and if you like it, I mean, and if you don't like it, no hard feelings. I've done that too. Like, I always tell people that too. That's I'll design shit for you, and I'll design stuff for some people, and if they don't like it, I don't care. I design fucking graphics all day, and everyone has different ideas of what looks good. Yeah. Right. So just because someone doesn't like my shit, like not everyone's going to like diamond. Not everyone's going to like cookies or even Supreme or mm-hmm. Nike. You know, some people be like Nike shoes are the ugliest things. I hate Jordans. They're fucking ugly, but it's like someone else loves them. So I feel like that, you know, so if I design something for someone and they're like, uh, I don't really like it. It's like, cool. My fucking hear something else or have someone else do. Cause obviously I don't understand your style, but I would never take offense yeah. to somebody not liking some shit that I designed because they just, maybe their homie likes it, but they didn't show their homie. They just personally didn't like it. And that's fine. Someone else will. That's what people with any brand, that's yeah. what people always think too, is I tell people that I'm like, dude, somebody's going to like your shit. Like someone's like, Oh, I'm not that great of a designer or, you know, it, people like, someone might think that this is the worst thing ever Mm -hmm. or someone's going to be like, this is the sickest tray I've ever seen in my life. Right. So you can't tell there's millions, there's billions of people in the world and not everyone's going to like the same shit. Some people like Corvettes, some people like Mustangs. Right. But it's like, yeah, design and brands. It's the same thing. You can't expect everyone to like your shit. You just can't. And they're not going to. So that's where you find your little fan base and you stick to them and, you know, hopefully they grow with you. But like that, it's like that for a lot of growers. That too. They get offended. It's the time. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Some like, people, dude, like, it's just not my vibe. It's yeah. not, a, I'm not saying it's bad. There's a lot of weed out there I don't me. like. Yeah. There's a lot of weed I don't like. I would like. say I, the majority I, I probably don't like. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. I, I'm probably 80%. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. There's a good 20% just like anything that's like, ooh, this is special. Some people, even this shit, like, you know, people are going to say, oh, fucking the D8 stuff that we're doing. Like, ah, it's D8. Like, it's fucking hemp, fucking, you know, whatever. But I like it. And a lot of people love this shit, but some people aren't going to like it. Some people only like OG. Yeah. Right? Yeah. People love OG. You give them some fucking, you know, some ill-ass exotic fucking (laughs) purple and it smells amazing, smokes amazing, fucking tastes amazing. And they'll be like, trash, give me a yeah, fucking, give me some OG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, a, it's just preference, but same with clothes. Yeah. Same with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, some people hate on skate. People hate on everything. It's just, yeah, everyone's Part different. So anyone can have a brand and anyone that wants to start a brand, they should fucking do it because somebody is going to like it. Fucking that's hey, great man. advice. For real. What do you what do you what advice do you have for somebody that's been contemplating executing some ideas and bringing them to life that like hasn't started but wants to get started? Like, what would be a good place for them to start? You just for what type of thing? Say like a clothing brand or something. Keep it simple. Yeah, to just make your clothing brand. Mm-hmm. Make a t-shirt. Yeah, just get just it going. Make your shit. You're gonna get better as you go. Don't ask too many people for their opinion. That's there what I is. do. I make all is. my shit and I'm like, mm-hmm. I like it. And I put it out. I don't Damn. go ask my team. Do you guys like that. this? I send them the catalog. I don't ask them. Wow. I make my shit and I design it. And I'm like, if I like it, I just send the catalog and say, this is what we're making. You know what I mean? Cause someone's going to like it. 
And yeah. did it take time to learn that? Like, cause you probably let people influence and you were changing. And it was just like, this. I think see. I've always been this way. Okay. From the start. It makes I've always sense. just designed my shit. Yeah. I don't have like people like, I don't have like a crew of people who are like, those aren't going to do well. We can't make fucking <laughs> pants like that. But like, I don't do that. I don't yeah. have like a team of people deciding what we make. It's just me. So that's how you need to be because too many opinions, right? Too many cooks, like there can't be. It has to just be like one leader on it. And this is my idea. It's my brand. So this is what we're making. And some people are going to like it. And some people are going to fucking think it's the worst thing in the world. Right. But there's definitely people that are going to like it. So yeah, yeah. same with everything. Man, For sure. Bro, that's gold. Yeah. As simple as that is, like that's gold. And I think that that's just been ingrained in you. But I think a lot of people struggle with that, myself yeah. included, where I'm like, get too many opinions before it's going into the, the production process. And it really will make you start second guessing yourself and thinking, like, oh, fuck. Because no one wants to fail. You know, it's always going to be resistance. And the more people you listen to, the more noise you listen to, it's harder to stay true to that original idea and just yeah. keep pumping shit out to stay true to you you almost get you almost get lost in translation of like who you even are and what you even really like anymore yeah that's true too and like i said earlier about people chasing trends and making all the trendy shit and the only things that i'll make when it's trendy is if i like it if i like that trend something i didn't think about and i see somebody making something and i'm like that's actually sick and i would wear that and i want to make that for diamond i'll do that but um I'll make something similar, you know, if I like it, but I'm not going to go make some shit I don't like because it's selling. Like there's a lot of things out there that they're like, this is fucking cracking. This is what's selling at all the stores right now. You need to go like some of our shops tell us that like the bigger accounts will be like, this is trending. You need to make these kind of pants. You need to do this. And I'm just like, I would never wear that. I'm not making that. Like that's not part of Diamond's brand DNA. I'm not doing that. And that shit's dead in six months. And it's like, we're one of those corny brands that made those ugly pants. Like, I'm not doing that. So brand you know, integrity. there's like a line that you cross or don't cross. And it's like, that's why I guess we've been here for 25 years. Talk about the second wave of Fairfax that came through, you know, Odd Future, Pink Dolphin, um, all those younger guys starting to now grow up and then start their Anwar. We had the homie on. Mm -hmm. um, you see all these under uh, young, young guys coming up. And then next yeah. thing you know. They're doing the same things there yeah. and, they, and they literally what you're talking about, uh, you can tell they followed that guideline of like, no, nah, this is what we think is dope. You know, like even odd future coming out with this story and it's golf. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, and they're doing polos and mm -hmm. crazy shit. It's just crazy to see the evolution of that. And we were lucky to have been there to like witness it firsthand. Yeah. But talk about how that kind of came about and, and what that did for Fairfax. Well, those were all like the young kids. When we first opened the diamond store, Anwar, Tyler, Taco, all the, like those kids, um, they were all hanging out. They were all coming to the store. Just little kids, like literally like Taco, I think was 12 or 13. Um, I have pictures of him in the store with me and he's just a little kid. Um, I always show him, I send him pictures and shit. He thinks it's funny. Um, Tyler, I got pictures of Tyler at the store, like a little kid. Um, just all the kids that grew up on Fairfax, they did shit, right? Yeah. I'm sure they looked at us and they're like, these guys are doing shit. Um, 
It's like how you looked at your, yeah, the guy Anwar. In the UK. Yeah. yeah, Anwar was around. You know, I've known all these guys since they were like in junior high school, basically. Um, yeah, it's amazing seeing them all now. Like so many of them are doing brands, like almost all of them have brands, even guys that you probably don't know um, that never became famous back then because a lot of them became like icons and fucking music and fashion and skateboarding. Now there's a bunch of group of other kids that we're all friends with them that are doing brands and people are like really doing shit or still part of the culture that were like unknown names that are kind of behind the scenes doing some of the brands. But um, yeah, it's cool seeing the evolution of these guys just absorbing what we were doing. They absorbed it and they went and they did their own thing now. And there is a whole new, you know, Fairfax is fucking ghost town these days. Like that shit after the riots and stuff, a lot of stores closed down and the whole pandemic kind of fucked up retail in general. Um, When we do releases, there's still a lot of people, but on a regular day, how it used to be, with just a shopping mall outside and people every day, just tons of people shopping. It's not like that at all. It's fucking ghost town, which is a trip, but things change, you know, and online shopping is, you know, obviously took over online's crazy for most brands and LA is dangerous. People get robbed, walk, walk into their car with bags. People are getting jacked. So people are scared to come to Melrose. They're scared to come to Fairfax thinking that, you know, they're going to get robbed of the clothes they just bought, which sucks. I mean, that's horrible. Um, So that's actually happening. But I mean, online's always been, you know, I mean, that's the spot now, but for these kids, like, yeah, they all have brands and it's amazing. I think it's super cool. Shout out to odd future and um, all the young brands and Anwar and everyone who's doing their thing. It's super cool because they are, I mean, it's, they're like, you know, the young, like how I was talking about the older New York brands and L.A. brands. Now I feel like well, we're that. Yeah. And now there's all these like young guys. So, yeah. Hey, at least Stussy and fucking all these brands are still around. Yeah. Right. Because they're old. They're like way older than me. They're like two generations before us and they're still still going. Trying. So luckily there's all these young brands and we're still going. Right. Yeah. So. I hope it comes back because there's nothing like landing in L.A. or being in L.A. on Fairfax, you know, depending on if you're a smoker or not, rolling up, walking down, hitting all the shops, even shops you're not even into, just walking through and checking out the designs and checking out the uh, the limited drop of this or what's in the case over there. Like, But it used to be a hangout. That was the thing. It's because it was a hangout and now it's like... You don't really hang out on the street anymore. It's like not a thing. Melrose, same thing. Like you're not doing that it's that's like, a lot of crime yeah that have to do with that it's just a you don't different feel comfortable time. with jewelry on nothing Dude, you used to drive by fairfax and the number one thing you'd look for is the rolls royces and all the crazy cars in front of diamond supply uh, like that was always a thing it was like yo look at everyone the, hanging what is out that? yeah like a party Ferraris, every day everyone Lambos. just fucking drinking smoking weed on the street fucking everyone shopping skating. skating yeah it's just like a thing but now like people just don't do that yeah anywhere I miss that part of LA. Yeah, you even go to yeah. Bray and it's like, cool, like there's a line when there's like a release it undefeated or Stussy, but on a regular day, it's not like fucking groups of heads are just chilling. Like it's not, it's not a thing like that anymore. Talk about like 
going into a few other things. I know you like started a hot sauce brand. You've done mm-hmm. things like totally kind of outside of the realm of what you're used to. How did those things kind of come about and how, how do you feel about, you know, how they're going and what you've been able to bring to those games? Yeah. So I've done side things. I've done other brands. I do, you know, I, I have other businesses. I do have the hot sauce company that I started with um, Rob Kardashian and Chris Jenner. That's our hot sauce company together called Grandeza. Yeah. Um, that came about, um, I have another friend whose um, aunt had a hot sauce um, that she would make. And he was like, man, we should make my aunt's hot sauce randomly. Um, so we were like, I'm just, you know, Rob Kardashian's one of my best friends. I met him through Diamond, actually. He was just a Diamond fan when he was a kid. Um, actually, on the very first episode of The Kardashians, however many years ago that was, 15 years ago or so, I don't know how many years, but he's wearing a Diamond OG script and He's wearing, like, Crooks and Castle shirts and shit. <laughs> so Ben Baller hit me up one day, and he's like, bro, my friend Rob really wants to meet you. Um, from this new show called his, his family's on the show Kardashians and I knew who his sister was Kim Kardashian because Chad Muska this old skater um, used to date Paris Hilton we all thought that that was crazy because Paris Hilton was like this big thing um, so I knew who his sister was because she used to hang around Paris Hilton. So I was like, Kardashian. So when they started the show, I was like, oh, weird. Kim Kardashian has a TV show. But then I didn't know she had the brother, but he was a Diamond fan. So we ended up meeting back then and became like just good friends. Coolest dude in the world. Fucking he's great. He's like one of my best friends in the whole world. Awesome guy. Um, We've done shit together, like other type of projects. And we decided to start a hot sauce company together (laughs) for fun. So we're doing this hot sauce company together. And now we're doing um, a D8 hot sauce, actually. Oh, wow. We're making hot. It's hot sauce that gets you high. We actually showed it at the Champs um, show. We had that. It's called Space Sauce by Grandeza. Um, Get you high. But yeah, we do a lot of collaborations with the hot sauce, with restaurants in yeah. LA. We've done a lot of those. Um, and then you got the Halfway Dead. And then Halfway Dead is a brand that we do. So yeah, I'm wearing sick. a shirt. That, that's Thanks. been on one of the later shows that they had, right? Yeah. I saw you kind of make Yeah, an so this is that. super small. We barely yeah. drop this, but that's owned by me and Rob too. Yeah. So this is a brand that me and Rob started together. He loves streetwear. He loves everything about it sneakers um all that stuff so he always wanted to do a brand so we started doing halfway dead super small it's like it's actually very limited how diamond before when i was saying it was limited not on purpose this is we only do like two drops a year um Yeah, I went to buy one and I was like, how is this not available anywhere? And I see it's like not. certain people wearing it. Yeah. You did a good job on that because I've even been like halfway and I'm like, who's behind this? Like it's yeah. a whole cloud behind I designed it. this shit too. I design it. Um, How'd you come up with the name? That was a name came up by this one kid was, oh, fuck, I forget. There's this kid that started the brand with my friend Mega from Black Scale. So my friend Mega too, bro. Yeah. I've been watching him for a while. Yeah. So yeah. Mega Legend. came to me um, and he was like, Hey, um, I want to know if you can help me with this brand. 
And I was like, well, I'm actually doing a brand because me and Rob came up with another name for a brand that we were going to work on. And I was like, I'm actually going to do this brand with Rob Kardashian. And he's like, oh, man, fuck, I wanted someone to help me get this going. And then I was like, well, let me ask Rob what he thinks of the name. Right. Because the name was kind of like out there, kind of like cool. Um, I liked it. Um, So I asked him, he's like, dude, I actually like that. Like, let's fucking partner with them and do the brand. Um, So we did the brand and then Mega and this kid have a falling out. (laughs) So they end up having a falling out. I'm like, okay, so who's going to help me with the brand (laughs) now? So now they had a falling out. Then now it's just me and Mega and um, this other guy, Ryan, um, came aboard, who's uh, Drake's cousin randomly, this kid, Ovio Ryan. He oh, came, yeah, yeah, I know. You know Ovio Ryan? Instagram, yeah. Yeah, so he had a brand called, uh, fuck, what's it? Cha-Cha. So he started a clothing brand called Cha-Cha, and he wanted me to help him do that. So he kind of got involved, and I was helping him do Cha-Cha and he was helping doing halfway dead. So I didn't have to hire a new team. Right. Cause I have my diamond team. Then I had mega, had this other kid and Ryan and me doing halfway dead. Then Ryan and mega have a falling out. Just butting heads. What's going right? mega, man? I'm just like, what the fuck? I'm like, so now my whole halfway dead team yeah. fell apart. So then I just started doing it on my own with mega and then mega was like it's so much work and he <coughs> wanted to start black scale again because he kind of took it like he had like yeah, a little hiatus ask, what, what, what happened with it um he just kind of stopped doing it for a while he was dealing with some people in asia that he was kind of partnered with they, op- they helped him open some stores in japan and he was doing all this stuff in japan and something happened there where that relationship wasn't going good so that kind of went on like a little hiatus for a while and he was doing, started that halfway dead thing with the kid and me. And then after a while, he was like, I need to do black scale. So now he's not in halfway dead anymore. So now it's just me designing it again. And now I'm using my diamond team. So everyone's out except for me and Rob. So we have this brand, but How we crazy. do super yeah. limited drops. Um, people love it. The skaters love it. It's dope. Dude. Um, thanks. Dope yeah. name, dope graphics. Yeah. You could dress it up. Like, yeah. It's dope. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll make it bigger one day, but I also don't have a lot of time. And, yeah. I was going to say, you- and it's fun just doing it like this. So yeah. Halfway dead. We sell it online. Mostly. We what's, don't really sell what's the some stores. other businesses and ventures you've kind of done that. Well, the weed stuff, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I'm in that, um, the hot sauce I'm doing candy. Um, we're actually, I did a deal with this candy company. So we're doing that with Grandezzo. That's about to come out too. So I partnered with this candy company in Canada and they make company, they make, um, gummy bears, vegan. They do vegan gummy bears. They're delicious. They're called better bears. I partnered with them to do Grandezza spicy gummies, like Mexican oh, candy, like yeah. the spicy and different flavors. Um, Rob loves those. Like you go to his house, he has like all kinds of these things. So I'm like, fuck dude, I'm doing this candy shit with these guys. Let's just do grand as a candy. So we're doing that, which is going to drop. So now we're doing spicy gummies. I like how you decided, like, let's partner with someone that already knows that process. Instead of you saying, I'm going to get into the gummy business. I don't have time to do this shit by myself. I learned that over the years. There's been other things. Like I try to do it and I'm just like, 
I'm over it pretty quickly because it's a whole new thing. It's better to just partner with when it's something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Partner with pros. You stick to design. Yeah. So with them, I'm designing everything. Um, Me and Rob are marketing it and then our friends will market it. Um, I talked to Zoomies. They're going to carry it. That's no, awesome. Shit. Yeah, they're going to carry it. And I'm also making diamond candy. So, wow. so that was my <laughs> other thing because I all. talked to Zoomies and some other stores about the candy, about the Grandeza candy. And then I actually presented the D8 stuff to Zoomies. I'm like, you know, smoke shops sell this, like store sell this. Could you guys sell it? They're like, oh, we can't sell it. Like, there's no way, you know, get you high. We have fucking 10 year olds coming in here. Yeah. We can't do it. But I showed them this stuff. They were weren't down but then i was like we made um the special mold for our gummies i i wish i had them here but i didn't even have a sample to bring you um the gummies are a 3d diamond yep. so some I people do yeah some people do the diamond gummies but they're just flat you know the cutout but yeah, ours is actually like a whole cap. diamond yeah. 3d so we had to like spend all this money for a special mold we're doing that for these so i was like why don't we just, so I told the company that's doing, that we're doing this with, can we do these not infused? So now we're just making regular vegan gummies, diamond shape and selling those to skate retailers and everything too. So now we have like this full, like little gummy grandeza and diamond candy, regular candy company. And who knows where that'll go from there. Could expand into more different kind of candy and shit, but I just like designing this stuff and it's fun. So yeah, I do shit. I make things and that's everything I'm doing. It's really just me designing new things. Oh, it's fucking amazing, bro. Thanks. Do you still have that uh, think tank? I remember when you got a think tank like in Hollywood. Yeah, no, I got rid of that, but that was fun. That was at the W okay, actually. Cool. Yeah. I bought this ill, um, the penthouse there it was like a penthouse. Yeah, it was fire. Fucking crazy, crazy. spot <laughs> back in the day. I, I, Cause I thought about when you said you like to be in, in the quiet when you're designing yeah. and shit. And then I thought back to when you got that. Yeah. And that was when Fairfax was going crazy. Yeah. So Fairfax sure was crazy. Disabled. I had massive amounts of employees at the office at home. You know, I didn't want to have the shit at home. So I just made like a design penthouse where I would just go and I'd bring my team guys. And we'd just sit there and we'd, you know, design and we'd do like, you know, castings there for like photo shoots of models. We'd like do all kinds of shit. There was like a, yeah, it was our think tank, but that's yeah. where we'd like just come up with shit. That was like our little off off of the office spot. But yeah, end up selling it, made a profit on. I was like, I was there for not even that long. Um, but the market went kind of crazy at the time. So I was like, fuck, I'm gonna just sell this place. Yeah. Go back to the office. But we had it for a while. It was fun. There's a pool on the roof. It was the yeah, W was residences crazy. in Hollywood. It's yeah. pretty sick. I was I was studying you as you were watching all those movies, bro. I'm like, bro, this guy knows his shit. He's on it. For you, real. Cause yeah. like I feel like you're the type of guy that to everybody else, they're like, what do you even do? Because you uh, don't make it seem like work. Like it's yeah. like you're hanging out. People and don't doing even know thing. I design. That's what I'm saying. I, honestly, bro, That's when you said a lot. when you said yeah. you design everything still, I was kind of like, damn, I thought he had it. People think team. I'm like one of these guys, like just one of these brand owners. Yeah. Yeah. Right? 100%. Telling people, like, design this, yeah. here's this, we want yeah. this, do that. Yeah. 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 I saw Bobby Hundreds posted something a couple days ago on his uh, threads, and he said something like that. He said um, that he thinks it's weird that he, he thinks it's interesting. He doesn't think that they're not designers, but he thinks it's 
interesting that a lot of brand owners don't know how to design. Like they don't know how to like use the tools mm, to design, yeah. which is interesting, but it's true. There's a lot of people yeah. that are the creative director. They start a brand and they do creative direct. So I guess that is design, but they're just telling their guys, right? Make this fucking do this jacket in blue and put pockets all over. Like, but they're not actually making the stuff. But back yeah. in the day, we all just did that. Like yeah. you start a brand, you're like designing the shit yourself. But now I guess it's different. There's a lot of people that are creative directors. Even brands are hiring. Their designers, even fashion, high fashion brands are hiring their head designer is really just a creative director because they have their whole team and they just tell them their ideas. They're not really like making the shit I like, themselves. And Anwar said something. She said, I call myself a creative entrepreneur. Oh, so because he like, doesn't like really that. design either, yeah. right? He does that same thing. Yeah. A lot of people do that. It's yeah. interesting. You get into a niche and, and it's unbelievable that you're still in there, passionate, churning out fire designs, bro. It really is. It's like inspirational. Well, thanks. thanks. Like unbelievable. But you don't have to be a designer to start a brand. I mean, you can do that. You can just. Yeah. It's, it, you I like what to. he says. He's like, I'm a creative entrepreneur. Yeah. Which is cool. It's just like he knows what's dope and he yeah. knows who does dope shit. And then he puts it all together. Yeah. Which you need that. You need like a liaison to be like, hey, you talk to this guy. We're going to make this, yeah. you know, and put it all together. I just always wanted to design my own shit. That's why. Yeah. So I started a brand as well, someone that was started, a designer. was like, I'm yeah, like, I just wanted to design. But people are just like, I want to start a brand, but they don't know how to design. There's no, no reason they shouldn't just start a brand anyway. You don't have to be a designer. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. felt like in your time, it was a necessity, though. Yeah, I guess. Because to re rely on another designer or... Yeah graphics person like i started i know fucking you know it's one of the hardest couldn't parts. afford to pay some dude when i'm just <laughs> starting my brand it's like yeah i just thanks to al fresco again for teaching me the you know the basics mm. of designing on a computer because i started really just every day hours and hours and hours every day just designing shit and learning all the tools and you know photoshop illustrator i started when i started designing those didn't even exist yet you know, we were using other weird art programs <laughs> to do stuff, but yeah. It makes it super original because it's coming out of his. Yeah. It's not getting filtered through three different people into their perspective of your idea, right? Because a lot of times anyone who sat with graphic designers, you're like, all right, I got this idea and I want to do this with this. Sometimes you can get close, but a good amount of times it's this constant tweak, 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 where with him, it's like out of your head onto the screen. I feel like the more people that it's get in between direct. that process, it definitely makes it more difficult. Well, it's more opinions too, like you said. It's interesting. Because yeah. then yeah. that's the other thing too. And I can't even work like that with a designer at Diamond. Like yeah. before when I was having designers and I'd sit there and I'd try to like create a direction. It the process. I'd be like, okay, I want this, this, that. And they'd make some and be like, that's not anything like I envisioned it to be. So here, give me that and I'll just finish it off. I want it like this, 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 this. So yeah, that's why I do it myself. Yeah. So it's just exactly how I'm envisioning it. And I don't have someone else doing my shit. I just do it my, on my own. Is real estate a passion as well? It has been. Um, I have some real estate. I mean, I, I, yeah, I have some shit, but it's not like I'm not, I'm not like big into it. Like some of my friends that own like, you know, 
hundreds of apartment buildings and all like yeah. that. But no, I have some real estate. Yeah, I, well, I watch you, and then you'll list things, and then you'll have been fixing it up or something. Yeah. It's interesting I because it's stuff. cool. It's yeah, different. It's really, Again, it's design. the whole. I see. That's my thing with real <laughs> yeah. estate is that I. I like getting shit and then you make it doing dope. it myself. Like I'm the architect, right? Mm -hmm. It's my way of being an architect. I, Cause I'm not going to go like, Oh, I'm going to go design your house for, for you. Like I'm not doing that, but I'll buy my own spot and remodel the whole fucking thing and sell it or whatever. But, um, or live in it. But any place I've bought, except for that, that condo is probably the only spot that I, ever bought that i didn't yeah. fucking gut almost the entire thing and make it my own like i just do that as being a designer i'm just like i'm crazy i just i do that like I've, i saw you got a dope spot in santa cruz that you're like yeah so that, that that spot is for sale right now that's actually next door to my dad's house oh which dope. is cool wow. yeah so that's um for sale if anyone's looking for a house in santa cruz it's super dope small um but it's on it like almost a, just under an acre lot um that's for sale um my i have a house for sale right now in hollywood hills if anyone wants to buy a house in hollywood hills if anyone's <laughs> looking was that was that one that you like <laughs> remodeled for a while and then and then from there yeah. like lived in it for a little bit i actually bought moved. this house a long time ago so i bought this house in 2015 that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that bought it as a brand new house. Again, I fucking lived in it for a year. Then I moved out and I basically fucking remodeled the entire house for no reason. Just to like, this would be better if this wall was knocked down and blah, blah. And that house is completely different than when I first bought it. But I still have that um, after all these years. But that's for sale right now. Um, that's dope. It has the craziest view. But, yeah, as a fire view. You were just yeah. over there, like I, you just posted up that up. Yeah, recently. Yeah, how sick is I was it? Like, though? damn, he still got that crib. You yeah. could have crazy. a crazy. You could have a Nikki Diamonds uh, designed house for real. You know, like when they do Hermes, put that on the website. Like inside interior, it is. Yeah. It's like if he had his own design firm, it's like yeah. it becomes that where it's like. This is an Hermes designed house or, you know, and or you're like, like oh, buy a famous first, I mean, I've done a lot of house. Like the very yeah. first house that I ever bought um, was in L.A. Um, I bought it off of Barham um, right, right behind Hollywood Bowl. I bought this house back in the day. Um, same thing. As soon as I moved in, gutted the whole fucking thing, not knowing what I'm doing. Didn't even have a real contractor. Just hired my boy, um, this dude from <laughs> Venice that... Kind of worked on houses, <laughs> but I was like, hey, let's fucking help me do this. So I let him move in while we remodeled the house and I lived there, but he ripped down the whole thing, ripped down the ceiling. I made vaulted ceilings, like did all this crazy shit. It took a long time, but that was my very first project. And I was young at the time. This one, like maybe it was like 2004. Yeah. Damn. So I bought my first house. Um, but that's when I was doing all the stuff in Venice, mm -hmm. like the weed For girl, stuff. Right? With girl? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, I wasn't like making a lot of money, but I was doing all the Venice stuff. So I was like getting all this money. Um, so I was like, what am I going to do with all tons of cash? Right. So I like bought a house and then I just paid this dude cash to fucking remodel the house. But that was like my first house was from plants, which was cool. So I was like, how sick is that? Yeah. 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 Back in 2004. <laughs> well, none of my friends knew that I was doing any of that shit either, except for like a couple. 
Because yeah. back then, you know, the shit was like different than now. Yeah. Everyone's so open about it. But back then, no one knew that. Oh. I was, no one knew I was Rule doing any one. weed shit yeah. back in the day. Like nobody, even the people, a girl, only the one guy, my friend that I told you that um, helped me with the shoes. He was like one of my only homies that even knew I was doing any of that shit. Um, but yeah, so bought that house, remodeled the whole thing. And then from there, yeah, that, that's a problem of mine. Is you that I'll get I a perfectly good house and I just rip it to fucking shreds to make my own house. I can, you got expensive taste too. So I could see you kind of financially, it's not going to be favorable for you because when you're doing renovations and stuff, you got to keep it to where the market's at, where the neighborhood's at, like making sure you don't make it too dope. Cause yeah. then you're never going to get, yeah. you're never going to get your I have that back. problem right now um, in the house that I'm actually living in right now. I bought a house and I was going to just do a light remodel because it was like a perfectly fine house. And I actually tore it down to the fucking studs um, after just, you know, I started working on it a little bit, mm -hmm. um, moved the kitchen to another room. And the next thing you know, oh, this would be way better if it was like this, be way better like that. Next thing you know, I spent probably, I could have built from the ground up three houses for how much Shit. I spent on remodeling this thing and going through shitty contractors too you know when you're dealing with that and traveling all the time it's also hard because people seem to take advantage and say they're doing shit when they're not when you're off fucking in europe for a month yep. and you come back and you spent all this money and you're like this doesn't look done <laughs> you're like this is what <laughs> we're talking about same thing on the designers yeah so <laughs> the house shit is a little crazy like that you have to be really on it you, what i've never done is had like a project manager which is my own bad um but yeah the house i'm in now definitely i could have built like three houses for the price that i spent on just doing that which is kind of annoying but I always do it. So I'm going to, I need to stop doing that. Just get a project manager. Yeah. Let's send you some pics but and videos. That's never going to happen. He, he still designs like, his own yeah, shirt. But I should get more like, into it. Like the end of the whole real estate thing. Like I have yeah. a lot of friends that, f that flip crazy amounts of houses in the, um, that's fun. Cause for me, that's fun. I just don't have the time, but they kind of do it as like full-time jobs of like buy houses, tear them all apart. Um, redo them you know they don't even spend that much money but they make mm -hmm. them look awesome and then they sell them for like you know five times the amount but for me that's fun because mm -hmm. i like doing that i just don't have the time so maybe later in life i'll do more of that yeah 100 percent. but no the real estate shit's fun yeah have you uh have along the way have you had a lot of people try to offer you for to buy diamond yeah situations come up um Back in the day, more than now, um, I think people know that it's not something that I'm just like trying to get rid of. But when we yeah. were first starting to blow up, that happened a lot. And I actually, you know, I've taken some meetings, some pretty crazy deals that I turned down. And, you know. What do you think is the craziest? I mean, I don't really want to like. Come on, Same, man. But there's some crazy <laughs> shit. Was it because of the devils in the details or was it, it just organically didn't work out? I just feel like I wasn't ready to let go. Okay. Which obviously financially, you know, as the brand goes on and you think back of like how much money some of these things were that I'm like, should I have done that? Or I mean, but I'm pretty content with still just doing it the way I'm doing it. I don't need all that 
bread at one time. Was it was it like private equity or like another brand or like private equity groups? Yeah, want to come in and mm-hmm. crazy offer. Do they want you to like step out or stay in it? Stay think, in. But you were worried, like, damn, it's gonna be different if I do this. It wouldn't be my brand anymore. I'd be like an employee. Yeah. I'm not you, saying that I would never sell the brand. Right. Maybe I will when I'm not doing actively it. involved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Doing it to the level that I'm still doing it. Like yeah. designing and just you know, it's fun for me. Absolutely. Like I don't really want to like hand it over to somebody else and have to listen to them and you know how much money you have to make every mm-hmm. year and you know, I can't do I I'd have to design what's yep. trending, like <laughs> yep. things like that. Like all the shit know. you say you don't want to do, you'd have to do it. Yeah. Oh, getting that call. Hey, uh, Nick, we need uh, 10 more designs by this weekend because these shops need this. Oh. And you're like, fuck. Yeah. But at that point, I'm hiring all these other designers. Yeah. I'm letting them do it. And then it's not me doing it anymore. And then it's not my brand. And I'm not happy. I'd rather just be happy right now and do it. And, yeah, and you can see that what kind of affect the do? life cycle of the brand. Yeah. Whereas it it dies out a lot quicker when that happens because they just don't know. Yeah. How have you managed to stay so close to the streets this whole time, even with having success? And now you have a family and stuff. I know it's much different. We saw you at the Jeezy birthday party. You were having a good time in Malibu that one oh, yeah, yeah. a few yeah. years ago. That's lit, it, bro. Yeah. You, that, that was the most fun. that I ever saw you. Yeah. We had a dad bar. So I don't remember. I remember. But <laughs> yeah, I you don't remember, remember that night. Yeah, I was fucked sure. up. I think I actually like fell over at some point. Yeah, you did, for sure. Oh, it was wild. There was <laughs> a bunch of wild chicken. Yeah, I got wasted. I was drinking tequila all day. People kept giving me tequila shots and I was like, I don't usually, well, now I don't drink like that at all. I'll drink here and there, but I haven't been like wasted or even like semi-wasted in a long time i just don't really like alcohol as much anymore when you get older it's it's different back then i would like i could drink fucking two bottles of 1942 to the head and be fine the next day now i'd fucking drink four glasses of wine and i feel like i'm gonna die for a week so but that's why i like weed so much too yeah because weed it's like next day you're gonna be good yeah I'm, I'm Even good if you get in too a few hours. Like, like I'll smoke weed and I'm good. And after you're high and it's gone, you're fine. Yeah. Alcohol, it's like headache. Body feels fucking like up. I was poisoned yeah. now. Because also when you stop drinking, your body's like not, you know, you have a tolerance for it for so long. And drinking for so many years, like my whole life, you know, from being a kid drinking 40s to going to bars to going to clubs to drinking at home, right? When you're older and your body's just so used to it, then when you kind of just stop drinking and you start again, like a little bit, like now, like even I like the feeling of drinking. I like drinking a glass of wine. I think it's great. I'll have some beers. Sometimes I think it's great while I'm doing it, but even a couple beers when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, why did I drink? Oh, mm-hmm. that regret. Feels that's right. I feel like there's poison in my fucking body, right? I still like drink. I'll still drink. Like if I went out to dinner tonight, I may or may not have a glass of wine. I don't have anything against drinking. I'm just not like trying to fucking party and do shots and like get all fucked up because then I'm dead for a week and I got way too much shit to do. But that's what's great about weed. I just like smoking weed. That's it, really. But drinking's fine. I have like a wine Ditto. collection and shit. Like I collect wine still and I drink wine and I'll drink tequila. I'll drink some vodka, but rarely. Yeah. It's you like, thought about I can go off. fucking like if tomorrow, like I don't, I don't have to drink for a year and I wouldn't even care if I had a drink or not. 
but I like to, so I do sometimes a couple times a moderation, a couple times a month, honestly, at this point, but there'll be times where I'll be like, maybe I had a glass of wine yesterday and I had a glass of wine. I'll have a glass of wine tonight, you know, or, and even three days in a row, but then other times it might be six months and I'm like, damn, I haven't even had like one glass of wine or anything. I'm too busy and I have kids and I'm home and it's like, my wife doesn't drink at all. She doesn't do anything. It's a big part of it. The only thing she likes to do is, you know, she'll do like uh, mushrooms sometimes, like before bed. I was just going to ask you, yeah. what do you think about that whole scene emerging? Uh, the mushroom stuff? Yeah, yeah. the psychedelic scene. Yeah, it's awesome. I have, getting decriminalized. I have, I have that stuff going on too. I do that. That's another thing that I do. Um, I'm in that space. Because <laughs> that's another thing from when I was a kid. I used to mm-hmm. love that. Um, but I used to eat mushrooms when I was a kid to trip. Yeah. Right. So that was my whole thing. Cause I was like into fucking acid and, you know, um, mushrooms and skating and full psychedelic trip on those things. And that was fun when I was young. Then, um, a few years ago, I started hearing more about even my friends, like eating mushrooms again. I'm like mushrooms is such like an old thing, right? Like we used to drink mushroom tea. We used to just eat mushrooms. Like, you know, you just eat a cat. Like I didn't know about this chocolate shit. Then someone gave me like some chocolate bars and they're like, dude, yeah, we just eat them like this. And they're like, no, don't eat fucking like a lot. Don't eat like the the whole bar. Like you just eat a little bit. It's like a micro dose. My friend's like, I microdose every day. Like I do this shit every day. And I'm like, what do you mean? You take mushrooms every day? Cause I'm thinking like, yeah, how yeah. do you fucking like, you know, Alice in Wonderland every day? Like that shit's not cool. Like I don't want that in my life. So I just tried, you know, a little bit and I was, went outside and I was like, wow, it just looks a little brighter outside. Oh, uh-huh. this actually feels cool. Uplifting. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I don't feel high. I don't feel anything except I just feel pretty good. Yeah. So I was like, this is amazing. When I was a kid, I never did that. I never tried just a little bit of mushrooms. I'd eat like four caps and fry balls. <laughs> like that's how that's I the thought only way you knew how to do shit. Yeah. yeah. So now, no, I do. I, I like it. I don't, I'm not like an everyday microdoser, but yeah. I do it. Um, I like it. It's super cool. Um, I just didn't know that it existed like that. Um, but now that's how most people do it that I yeah, come across. It's gone mainstream. A lot yeah. of brands popping up. Yeah. So I have a, I have a, uh, some collabs coming. I actually, I, I can't even talk about this shit because <laughs> <laughs> it's not okay for, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, but there is some stuff coming that I'm doing with some people. Um, but it's that like chocolate bars and things like that. But no, I'm in that space a little bit with some other things as well, but I love it. And hopefully it all does become legal because it's just like alcohol. Okay, cool. If you take a little microdose, it's nothing. It's like great. Beer, it makes you yeah. feel good, but it's like having a beer, but it's different, but alcohol is legal. You don't have to go out and get belligerently drunk. Just like you don't have to, you know, eat a bag of mushrooms and be frying balls running down the freeway naked. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like you don't have to do that. Like microdosing is great and i think that it's super positive and my friends that do it a lot seem like they're happier people from doing it i think it's an amazing i think mushrooms are amazing and you know they're here for a reason you know just like weed so i think it's great if it's like controlled and great if people want to go fry balls and go out to the you know um joshua tree and take mushrooms great but um that's not what i want to do 
but that's fine too. But I love the little, just a little bit is great. And I think that it should be legal because <laughs> if alcohol is legal, lots of things should be legal. That's a fact. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. So what are some ways that you still kind of stay connected? Meanwhile, raising a family and doing that life as well. Of what do you mean? Like right now, just like staying connected to like the street scene, the skate scene, like all these different scenes. Like you got your hands in a lot of different pots now. Yeah. I mean, um, the way I kind of juggle home life and um, work is I do work at home a lot. Um, But when I am home, when the kids are awake, I'm not working. So they're in bed by seven. And then yep. at seven is when I turn on my computer and I bust out all the graphics and do all the shit. Um, That's fire. After, because I do want to be the good dad because I never like really grew up with that. So my family life um, is completely way different than <laughs> how i grew up for my kids it's amazing um so that's super awesome but i go to the office like during the day now for a long time we were only working at home um ever since covid and just about a um, little over a month ago we're all going to the office again every day so that's we, dope. we had our skate park closed i have this warehouse not yeah. far from here um Full skate park inside, offices. We weren't using them. Um, I was just working from home, but we moved back in. So now I have the full skate park. That's a dope again. spot, too. And I like to, thanks. And I like to connect with my guys because, you know, it's great working from home and everyone likes it and shit gets done, but a lot more gets done when we're all there face to face. It's way easier. Yeah. Like it takes so long to communicate what you're trying to versus it just shows you how much in person is communicated without it being verbal. Yeah. It is like, yo, like this. And it's everything from design to, to production, to customer service, to sales. It's like, now I'm like fully involved 100% all day talking to the salespeople about shops and shit like that. And making sure packages got sent out to the right people and even promo and marketing and who got sent this when I'm at home, just like designing or, doing shit like that like all this stuff's going on from different people's houses and there's like a disconnect yeah we do zooms and communication barrier yeah the communication barrier a lot of things fall through the cracks i'm just really happy that we're all back working together super fun and i don't eat as much yeah (laughs) at home (laughs) like i just started losing some weight i'm still like uh, and not nowhere where i want to be but i got a little like pretty heavy over that time and now that I'm back at the office, it's like, I don't have time to be sitting there just like, oh, I'm working on some stuff or, you know, or I'm playing with the kids and I'm just going to go to the refrigerator every 10 minutes and get a snack. Like that doesn't happen at the office. Yeah. At the office, I literally get there and I don't eat all day until <laughs> yeah. I get home and I eat dinner because I'm yeah. so like doing all this shit that I don't even think about it. I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah. You know, I'm actually like on a diet and not trying to be yeah. <laughs> a work diet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just working, yeah. but I'm not stuffing my sa- my face every 10 minutes at home because I have a refrigerator full of amazing Especially food. Especially with kids, man. Yeah. And, they're, the and they have to eat all the time. So, yeah, it's kind of nice for that, too. There's a lot of reasons that it's really great to be at the office. Um, you see a rebellious nature in your kids like you were? 
Not at all. Good. Zero. Good. Yeah. My kids are fucking great. And I have, so they're young. I have, um, I have an 11 year old daughter from a prior relationship um, that I didn't get to spend as much time when she was young. Cause we split up when she was one, but I would see her all the time. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't live with them full time. Like I do now. Cause now I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old and living with them. is just a whole different thing. Right. And back then is I was like fully traveling fucking every week. I was, you know, always out of the country. I was always in China. I was always in Japan. I was always like, you know, going to events. I was just full fucking diamond life mode during the time she was a little baby. So I didn't get to spend as much time as I do now with my younger ones, which is great. But me and my 11 year old have an amazing relationship now and she's all into sneakers and she's cool. (laughs) And she's like a hip hop dancer and in competitions. And she's all into kind of the same shit that I'm doing now at her young age, which is super cool. So we have a great relationship now, which I was worried about when she was young that I wasn't seeing her as much, but no, it's completely different now with the new kids, the youngsters, because I'm with them so much more, which is awesome. But yeah, so full dad mode right now. <laughs> yeah. Love dad mode. That's awesome. Do you guys have kids? Nah. Yeah. Nah. I want to yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids are great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking for forward sure. to it. I like saw you make that transition. <laughs> it's dope. Changes your life. Yeah, Hell for yeah. sure. Um, with the merch and apparel game, what do you feel like, you know, because it's by the calendar year, like you're having to work on stuff that's going to be next year. But mm-hmm. I feel like now more than ever, it's less about that and more about just drops. Yeah. So we, we design our collections um, the, the spring, summer, fall holiday. Those are designed a year ahead because most of those are, well, a lot of graphics, but a lot of cut and sew. Cut and sew yep. takes a lot, a long time. So we have to book the product. So, well, first we have to design the stuff, get samples, take pictures, make the catalog, book the product. Then, you know, it takes fucking, after you book the product, um, it takes, you know, three to four months to get the shit made. Um, so it's from design to samples, which takes months to get the samples then, you know, so yeah, you have to work a year ahead. So we're a year ahead on that stuff, but then the drops is amazing because yes, I add cut and sew into a good amount of our monthly drops, but it's a lot of graphic based stuff. Um, fleece hats that I can make in LA quickly. We did that. Um, make socks in LA. So we do like some shit skateboards we make fast. So those drops don't um, have a lot of heavy apparel or, you know, we do some, but those I can design, which is fun about that is I can literally design something and have it out on the market within like two to three months instead of a year, which is fun because then I'm like, when I have an idea for a regular collection, by the time the year comes up, I'm like, ah, oh, it's cool, but I'm already over that. I've seen it for so yeah. long. So with my monthly drops, even some, even some of our like collabs with people, I'll be like, you guys want to do co- uh, like 
we're going to do this collab and we'll do a party in say six weeks. So let's make a t-shirt graphic. Let's fucking get it made. Let's do an online drop and let's throw a party. And that's fun because then it's like, by the time it comes out, it's still new in your head. And you're like, this is amazing. Most of the shit, by the time it comes out, I'm like, yeah, it's right. amazing. But it's like, I've been looking at this and I've had a sample. I've already worn this shit <laughs> fucking yeah. a million times over the year that by the time it comes out, it's just not as exciting anymore. Mm-hmm. You're so, wearing all the new samples. And yeah, shit. exactly. So I like. That's the, what I was curious the monthly about. Monthly drops are fun. Ha- having to project out a year, how does that? You know, how do you even work that, or do you just say, "Hey, this is what I think is dope. This is what we're gonna do, and let's run with it." Yeah, I'm not that calculated. A lot of yeah. people work off of, and a lot of my peers and stuff, like they follow like what's going on in fashion. The colors of the year, colors of the, the year, different. and all that. I don't really do that. Yeah, I just make that shit and hope that when it comes out in the year that people (laughs) like it but you know a lot of people they follow that stuff yeah there is like colors of the year and things like that or what's going to be trending in you know 2025 you know like people actually like and know that and i like don't follow that stuff i like how the simplified process yeah, I just I like make that. we used to like yeah. sneak an agenda and shit and see all that and like you're presenting for the next year, selling yeah. it all there and like mm-hmm. showing all the stores like yo this is where we're gonna be bumping next year. Yeah, and I, I feel like we're behind. The- like yeah, we're behind even when it's like. But you know, the my my rule is that we have to be selling our catalog if it's a seasonal catalog, not the monthly drops, but like when summer's starting, I have to be selling summer. Like, so summer 23, I'd have to be selling summer 24 to the stores. Yep. And like, this is fashion. That's what I do. And forever. that's behind. Because some people are selling, you know, they're Fall. selling. When? Yeah, they're like a year and a half. Damn. But I'm like, I just, I, do I can't get do. on that calendar. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. lot. Like, even like, like the bigger brands like Nike and shit. Like, when you do shoes, like, shit takes fucking sometimes two years to come out. Wow. You know, like, it takes a long time especially people that are on like the proper calendars that I'm not on. But there's sometimes where I'm way off calendar. Like sometimes I'm so off calendar, like we'll be like They're so like, we're far not behind. Shorts, bro. <laughs> yeah. We'll be so far behind where shops are like, what do you mean? You're only showing us holiday. We're buying summer of 2024. Right. Like, yeah. you know, like I'll be like, a year behind sometimes like <laughs> it just depends on and because i'm doing all the design myself sometimes i want to chill yeah, i'm not yeah, like yeah. even though i am like a workaholic i'm fucking always working there's times where too, i sure. slack off sometimes yeah. of course and i'm like oh fuck man i have to have this shit done like sometime soon <laughs> you know and i should have had this done two months ago but i always i play catch up a lot accounts get mad when we're late um and because, you know, they're booked out, they've ordered everything from all the brands and they have a budget. So you kind of have to be on calendar or else you're not going to get your shit in their shop at, during that season. Because they're like, damn, you're finally sending me holiday when I booked holiday four months ago from every other brand and we don't have any more money to buy any more holiday. Fuck. So that happens. So that's why you have to be on calendar. So anyone watching this yeah. that's starting a brand you have to be on calendar it's like one of the main things unless you're doing it yourself and just but that's old school too because that's yeah. selling to retail yeah so a lot of people nowadays aren't selling to drops. retail and i'm like man that's amazing i wish we were yeah. that brand 
right? Yeah. Where I could just design and only sell online, but we haven't ever been set up that way. I guess I could be, but we're so like always been selling to retail stores. And with that, you have to be on calendar. If you're just online, you could drop shit whenever you want. doesn't matter. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like kind of like in music too. Like they want a project all the time now. You can't yeah. just drop one album a year. Yeah. It's like even a guy like Drake can't do that. That gets old so quick. Time's like sped up in a sense. It is. But that's why everyone's just dropping songs. It's yeah. the same with cannabis. That's why. What do you mean? There's fucking artists now yeah. like that are super famous rappers or singers or whatever. And they never even had an album. They're like that's, super popular and they've only had like a couple songs. Mm-hmm. You know, they've never yeah. dropped a project. Like that happens all the time nowadays. That was unheard of back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's well, not unheard of because there was those one hit wonders. Right. Yeah. A lot of people are one hit wonders, I guess, that have continued, but never dropped an album. But I think even back in the day, those one hit wonders actually did have an album and that was just their hot song on the album and then they just never put out anything again but i guess it's the same now because people don't drop the album they're just dropping the singles and dropping another single yeah and dropping another single <laughs> and the album never comes yeah right? it's kind of like that's this, what it seems like the disruption of record companies because they they're pushing for oh you need to get the album it's like retail wants a collection but then now it's straight direct to consumer yeah that it's like dude it's not even need a lot of brands just, won't even sell to a shop like yeah. they just don't they don't want to do that. It's a lot of work. Um, we've just been doing it so long, you know, like if you sell online and you're only selling fucking t-shirts and sweatshirts, you don't even need your own warehouse. You don't need anything. It's crazy. Yeah. You, you just have a fulfillment center. You could just right. go get a three PL. You um, get, you know, you find a print shop, you sell your shit online. The print shop sends all the stuff to the three PL and they ship it out for you. You're just sitting at home on your computer making designs. That's the good life. We just don't, <laughs> yeah. we just don't do it like that. We're old school. Like still, yeah. I've been doing it for so long. We're still like make our catalog, send it to a fucking store. They order. Then, you know, Photo we, shoot, we look, yeah, look books. Then we have to bring the shit um, to our warehouse and we, we pack all the boxes. We ship it out. It's like a whole thing. You know, you guys crush the mystery boxes. I made that up. I we so do that wild. here. We yeah. still, that's one of the Everyone ideas we does do. It. Yeah. It's just <laughs> crazy box. that I like because I, I had to bring it up. Off of that. That yeah. I, yeah, it's crazy that it's such a thing that like even when I first started seeing the big brands, like you know, even like anyone that's like a actual corporation mm, yep. doing it, not even in apparel, even like say mystery box from fucking target or something mm-hmm. it's like i made up the mystery box it's so weird that it went that far you it know? really is crazy and like I, that, i've heard you speak on that before like yeah yo we you know and you see it everywhere now it's yeah. common marketing theme. A, a yeah, mystery box. Sure. but it was it People was like variety i guess so it was kind of like a genius idea that i didn't think of genius back in the day we just had a bunch of old shit in our warehouse and i was like how are we going to sell all this stuff? Like, do we have a sale? And I was like, let's just put six shirts in a fucking box and sell it and throw in some accessories for a hundred dollars. And I'm going to call it a mystery box. Fire. You don't know what you're going to get. And we started dropping those online fucking going crazy years and years ago. And then 
people started other brands were like holy shit i would move all my inventory there's literally companies and brands built off that idea right now (laughs) yeah subscription services where it's like we're just gonna send you shit Mm -hmm. and yeah that was was almost what concierge was gonna be was right like yeah so then i was like we just sold all of our fucking inventory all of our back stock inventory on one online drop doing mystery boxes i tell my friends and they were like how the fuck did you do that? So then other streetwear brands started doing it. And then bigger, bigger companies and yeah. then major corporations. Now mystery box is actually a thing. I should have trademarked it. Yeah. yeah I should have trademarked mystery box, but I made up the name. I made up the concept and now everyone does mystery box. Pretty funny. Imagine it blows up and then they just call him Nikki uh, mystery box. And it's like, oh, <laughs> he used to do clothing. Yeah. <laughs> He's the guy yeah. who invented mystery box. Yeah. yeah that's, that's pretty, pretty funny. Crazy. Oh yeah, man. These sure, are man. fucking great, bro. I would definitely yeah. be puffing on. Definitely give nah. you a hand change. And one thing, great, about, right? Yeah, I like them. Yeah, I like them. And one thing about it is that you always are going to bring that design aspect to any right game on. you come Thanks. to. It's like bro. cut it's, like a diamond. It's dope as hell, man. For Thanks. real to see and shit, man. What What do you got going on in the future? What's some stuff that you're like bubbling up right now or like looking forward to? Um, I don't really do that. Kind of like I don't. It, I have so much shit going all the time that I'm not like just the keeping the ball rolling. I just keep going. Yeah, I kind of like roll with the punches, and I like just I'm kind of like working as I go along in life. Like I'm just rolling along in life. I come with new ideas, and I just I do them. Yeah, like I'll come with new ideas. Um. I've never been a big planner of the future, which is probably bad. Um, I don't do a lot Served of future well, planning. I'm just kind of like, do shit. I'm like living life and doing stuff. Um, I do live in the future because I'm in um, apparel. So like we were talking about design-wise, I'm always living a year ahead of what I'm designing for ahead. So the, the today kind of passes by. Um, a lot, but I learned to starting to learn how to live in the moment and enjoy the time that I'm here right now. Um, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, so I can't just keep always being future, future, designing so far ahead. My life is so far ahead. Always what like a year from now, thinking where I'm going to be in a year from now is not healthy. I'm always like, so I need to like be here today, especially with the kids and stuff. I gotta yeah, like for real. remember that this is right now. Right. So that's a saying that I have too, that, um, the good old days are right now. Damn. I like that. Yeah. Cause that's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. Cause when you get older and you look back, Oh, 10 years ago, those were the good old days. No, the good old days are right now. Cause in 10 more years, I'm going to look back and be like, those were the good old days. 100%. I have to remember that it's always the good old days right now. Dude, and we That's appreciate fire. you making time for us. Yeah. You've been someone we've both looked up to for a long time. This guy, I started a clothing yeah, company sure. years ago with him, and we he just used to always, you know, you're an icon to anybody who does any type of clothing and Thanks, streetwear. Man. I appreciate Honestly. that. A Thank true you guys. Uh, iconic brand, bro, yeah. and something that's going to keep going and continue to flourish just because, you know, you doing well, what you, you do, bro. Passion. Thank you. For I'm real. just very blessed that people still like it and that we're still a brand. 25 years later, it's crazy to think back. Like, fuck, it's been 25 years. People still. Even when I did the math, people I was like, still fuck with 25 me. 25 years. Yeah, people still fuck with me and my that's designs, and that's cool. And 
I still own the brand 100%. Like, I never sold it. Like, we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I just never did it. I'm like, can't believe I'm still, like, just trucking here. along. I can't believe I'm still here. And thanks to everyone that buys our shit. Yeah. And thanks for everyone who supported me. And thanks for all the companies that collab with me and still support us. And thanks for all the people who are smoking our weed now and yep. all this stuff. And, like, you know, I just try to make the best stuff that we can. And hopefully, hopefully people like it and thank God people have, you know? So that's, that's really it. Shout out to all the diamond lifers. Yeah, man. At Nikki diamonds on Instagram. If you diamond guys lifers, know. VVS one gang. That's my, uh, when all the NFT shit was popping, we dropped some NFTs and I built another community, which reminded me of back in the day on the hypebeast forums. Yep. You got um, a discord. Yeah. So yep. I started a discord cause I didn't even know what discord was. Someone's like, man, you should start discord. And I was like, I checked out Discord and I was like, this is just like fucking back in the day on Hypebeast and Soul Collector and Nike Talk. It's the exact same thing. So it's real time. Yeah. So I went on Twitter, I went on Instagram and I said, everyone come join my, you know, Discord. And all these people came and I had like 30,000 people came on and I was like, holy shit. And I just started talking to everybody again. So I built a community on there um, called VVS One Gang. So Fire. I have those guys in. Um, they all bought my NFT back in the day. I just made like some fucking digital sneakers and had everyone buy it. And um, it was basically my idea when I did that was that it was like, uh, like how, you know, if you're a member of Soho House, you have like your Soho House car, your membership. So it was basically a diamond membership. It wasn't really about the NFT. It was about you becoming a part of the diamond family membership card is what the NFT is. And now all those guys, they get a special code on every drop. They get 30% off of everything diamond, which is a huge discount. Um, and whenever I throw an event, they're all invited. We do like shit like that. Um, I've thrown parties for them. We just haven't for a while, but we were, but still when we do like any kind of event, I invite them, but they still, I always, every drop I give them, you know, a discount code. I do, do giveaways on the discord. It's like the hypebeast forums all over again, but now <laughs> yeah. I have like this other community of yeah. these kids that are like mad hyped, right. Just to like, um, have somewhere where they could all go talk to their friends. Cause now they've all become friends too, the discord people and they all hang out. I've noticed like they hang out and when they, we throw events, they all come together. I'm like, cool. So we've all made friends with each other over the internet again building community bro yeah it's a that's community. exactly exactly how you stayed close yeah. to the streets this entire time yeah so that VVS answers my question gang. yeah <laughs> absolutely but yeah. i love it it's cool being connected because you know sometimes i'll fall off of that yeah. i fall off of the connection with these people and the fans and i'm so busy so it's nice having that where i can go because you know on instagram you get comments from people you can comment back and twitter and all that shit it's cool but here it's like just that it's like them all talking amongst each other and you go in there and kind of it's like yeah it's your own little community way different than a social platform it's more of just like a chat it's like a real time it's a group text yeah exactly mad heads with thirty thousand people different different (laughs) different channels and shit like that super cool vvs one gang yeah shout out to you for staying connected (laughs) that's how we were able to make all this happen bro yeah Yeah. thank you man yeah exactly same way yeah yeah we appreciate it bro god bless the internet yeah (laughs) Yeah, for real real. and some weed yep 
Yeah. Well, shit, man. We'll keep it popping. Thank we appreciate you, you today. It's Nikki Diamonds, Diamond Supply Co. Shout out to all the Diamond Lifers and VBS One Gang. It's first smoke of the day. We're out. Peace. Hey, stop. Before you leave, roll up another one. We got more episodes just like this. Click right here.